Welcome to the Film Seekers Podcast. Mainstream, art house, vintage and documentaries. We bring news and reviews of big screen productions to your earbuds. We seek films. Now relax and enjoy the show. show. Hello and welcome to episode number seven. If you're a bit confused, we'll explain a bit later on today. We'll be taking a sidestep into the world of Bollywood with our film Sholay, as well as looking at the UK box office top ten and the latest news. This is the Film Seekers Podcast. Welcome to our domain. Once again, we're back. Uh, it's myself, Neil Ramji, behind the controls. And on this microphone and opposite me, as usual, I have Michael Ross. Hello. Welcome back. Yes, thank you. It's, it's, good, it's good to be back. It's good to have you back, Mike, as always. Uh, it's been a wee bit of a break for us. We are yes. quite busy people in our alternative lives. <laughs> uh, lives that we do not reveal to everyone else across the world. <laughs> Very mysterious. Mm, what should we get up to? Uh, <laughs> but it's been incredibly busy over Christmas for both of us because of the nature of our job. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, for, for most people as well, Christmas and New Year's, they're, they're busy times of the year. You're seeing family, you've got lots of other sort of constraints on your time. So, yeah. Yeah, we've been super busy. So apologies if you've been expecting an episode. We did have an episode in the can, and that was the Fanny Alexander, Ingmar Bergman. And, and uh, Christmas Tale. Christmas Tale. It's all recorded. It's all there. It's waiting to be edited. Unfortunately, what you didn't hear is the fact that we were both very ill at the time of recording. There was this horrible strain of flu going around. Yeah, and uh, so it's a very phlegmatic show. <laughs> not sure if we want to necessarily subject people to that. No, two people who really kind of didn't want to be there, but kind of really did at the same time, because we had some really interesting thoughts and opinions on those two films. Yeah. And uh, seeing as they were around the Christmas period, uh, we wanted to kind of get that out there before Christmas. But hey-ho, it's there. We I might release it as a lost tape one day and <laughs> someone can blackmail mail me for it we may get that out on uh, the internet at some point yeah uh, don't blame us if it is the patient zero of some kind of virulent <laughs> outbreak that starts being transmitted through the airwaves uh, apparently it was australian flu that was going around okay. so we blame the aussies <laughs> as usual yeah uh, for uh, our illnesses so there we are and i'm sure that the ab film podcast uh, <laughs> would be thrilled would be with thrilled. that they yeah. are an australian film podcast check them out they're they're awesome so welcome to the show uh, i just want to kind of start the new year with with a kind of refresher, I guess. Yeah. Let's tell all the, the audience what we do. So we seek films. We go out into those nooks and crannies looking for the sort of films that you should have seen or maybe should be watching that are out on the you know the side sidelines yeah films that should be on your radar that might not be they don't have the traditional marketing budgets or the sort of they're not in every cinema in the way that certain films will saturate the market they're they're a little bit more niche they're a little bit more out there but equally, we think they're of importance to go and explore and certainly for you to go and watch them. This is done on the fly by the seat of our pants. <laughs> it's recorded live. Uh, I have a mixer in front of me, so there's minimal editing and everything else. So if you hear a couple of mistakes, we don't have researchers. We're not funded by anyone. We're it's, not doing multiple takes to get things right. It's all if it, it, it has to work at the moment. Yeah. Otherwise, it just doesn't <laughs> work. work at all. Um, and I have a jingle machine in front of me. So everything you hear is live and played live as if we were doing a, a radio show. Yeah. 
And BBC, if you're listening, <laughs> pick, pick up the Mike and Neil show sometime yeah. soon, the Film Seekers podcast. A nice big fat check would help. <laughs> that would be lovely. Yeah, no, it's funded all by the Bank of Neil. We don't swear on our podcast, and I think that's something that I wanted to establish. Uh, we try and keep it as clean as possible. There's no effing and jeffing because I think that a lot of people listen to podcasts in their car, among yeah. family. And I think that we can probably get across most of the things that we want to talk about without having to resort to Yes, I mean, I am a fan of swearing so personally, but it, it is something that is, it is a lot better and more effective if you use it sparingly. And so any chance you have to not use it just forces you to think about it more. And, and so, yeah, we it, it makes us think a bit more about what we're saying rather than just relying on chuck an expletive in here and it'll help reinforce that point. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine I'm talking to my grandmother and and that kind of works for me so on best behavior as always that's kind of what we do here at the film seekers podcast if you're joining us for the the first time thank you yeah welcome along welcome uh, to number seven you are here for the early years um so um (laughs) thank you very much for downloading and anyone else who subscribed to us cheers once again on today's show we are going to step into bollywood as i've said the classic masala western as it's called uh sholay which is known in its english interpretation as embers the version we actually saw earlier on was subtitled with the english title as flames of the sun i think yeah. it was which i think is much more it's pro- very evocative yeah, yeah very much more poetic but apparently the the, the proper translation is is, is embers. embers okay so yeah there we are but we'll come on to that a bit later on that's our main feature for today's show lay and we have a fantastic introduction from someone who is a bit of an expert in indian film and we're very privileged for him to have done an introduction to that film and you'll stay tuned you'll hear that a bit later <laughs> on today we're obviously going to be talking about film news film festivals we'll be looking at the UK box office as I said at the top of the show I'm a bit bored of doing top tens and ranking everything at the moment everything seems to need to be ranked we'll obviously do the box office top ten because that's fact (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's based on actual statistics rather than opinion but uh, Um, you know I, I see all these articles nowadays it's just like Let's rank all the Star Trek episodes ever in from worst to bad. It does seem to be a bit of a internet phenomenon, certainly. No, it's uh, clickbait. Which is, yeah, it's so. it's not necessarily a good one. No, I completely disagree with it. So we'll, we'll try and not do the top lists. We'll probably throw out some stuff there and not put a number on it i think that's the best thing to do for today we have had some feedback which is really really Ooh. cool someone has got in contact with us and just to remind you you can get in contact with us in a multitude of ways you can follow us on twitter at film seekers we're always willing to reply and, and listen to your thoughts we also throw some interesting thoughts out there in the world as well for you to interact with we also put out competitions as well a couple of our listeners won some fantastic dvds last time from peccadillo pictures which was tom of finland yeah who doesn't love a bit of free swag <laughs> exactly who doesn't love free stuff <laughs> they managed to win that stuff by following us on twitter interacting with us and possibly listening to the podcast as well so there's your opportunity to interact with us and we love interacting and uh, you can also drop us an email drop us an email hello at filmseekers.com yeah and also uh follow us on facebook facebook uh, yeah. facebook.com slash filmseekers yes indeed and this person has got in contact with us his name is Vin. Full disclosure, I actually know Vin, so uh, <laughs> this, I'm not going to pretend this is some random punter yeah. in the world, but Vin runs a brilliant YouTube channel called No Nonsense Whiskey. I'm a bit of a whiskey fan. I don't want to go into any any further than that. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have dependency <laughs> issues, but I, I, I wanted to know a little bit more about whiskey, and I, I never really got that from 
reading websites, it always felt a bit pretentious. You know, when you try and go into something new and, and some always puts a barrier, oh, don't you know about this? Yeah, and don't yeah. you know about that? And I tried to read up on it and I kind of got a bit bored reading up on it. But uh, Vin does these brilliant accessible videos for anyone who has an interest in whiskey or, or bourbon as well. He's, he's sort of diverting into that area for perhaps the American market. <laughs> uh, but he's got a brilliant YouTube channel and it's come on from strength to strength. Um, he has videos up on a weekly basis going through different drams, um, explaining the authenticity of them, where they come from, and also just explaining his take and his you know the, the flavors that are evoked from yeah. that whiskey now it may all taste like ethanol to you but some of us have a little bit of a refined palate and i just wanted to know a little bit more about that area and so vin runs this youtube channel and website no nonsense whiskey and if you're into that by all means follow him it's it's such a such a good page so anyway vin sent us an email hi neil and mike it's been a while since I listened to any podcast, but I thought I'd give yours a go. Well, thank you very much, Finn. Uh, it's a great listen. Double thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Here are my thoughts. I like your thoughts on the harassment issue. For me, I'm glad many of these prolific people are answering for the things that should have been unacceptable even back then. My only worry is that often these cases have no real evidence and often extremely damaging to a career, such that someone could abuse the current trend and take down someone who genuinely hasn't done anything. That said, I shan't be losing much sleep over it. One is interesting with the whole Aziz Ansari thing, which we'll be talking about yeah. in a little while, that it's inferred that that may or may not have happened. So we'll be talking about that in a bit anyway. I can't say I've seen the feature film, and I think the feature film he's referring to was our episode five, which was Santa Sangre, the Hodorowsky, okay. which we've had some other feedback on, which is brilliant. But anyway, Vin continues. Um, so I'll take your word for it. I've, I've used to be a bit of a film buff back in the day, but I find my hobby leaning towards the video editing these days leaves me with little time to watch any films. Hey, myself and Mike are massive film buffs. We don't have any time either. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm really struggling to watch films at the moment. It's genuinely quite heartbreaking for me. But that said, I shall try to take time to watch some of the streaming recommendations at the end of the show. Talking of which, I think it might be an idea to put the specifics on the website so folk can easily reference them. I listen in the car, so I can't write them down. Well, here's a great thing. On your podcast, if you listen on the Apple one, if you flick our image up on your podcast app you've got an entire listing there of the show i have complete show notes tells you when and where we're talking about certain films and it also gives the recommendation part on there as well so you can always go back and listen to them but yes we shall take that on board and we shall put those up on the website as well if not we'll tweet them out i think after the episode goes live just so people can get an idea of you know what kind of things we're recommending yeah i i think that's some great feedback and and definitely something that we can action that's not too difficult, no. but that, you know, could potentially make a difference to people. So, yeah, yeah uh, thank you very much, Vin. Thank you, Vin. And uh, he, he also mentions, just in the final part, uh, the interview with John Fry was a highlight for me, an extremely interesting conversation that revealed much that I didn't know. One of my favourite things about film is that when someone is doing their job properly, you rarely notice their input. The unsung heroes, if you will. I greatly look forward to future interviews of the same ilk you mentioned. Anyway, thanks for indulging me. Congrats on the very well put together podcast. I'll be listening to future episodes. If we had loads of emails like that, Mike, I don't know how big my head would be. But <laughs> Struggling to get through doors. But it's really nice that someone's taken the time to, to send us that email. And, and thank you very much for all the compliments and uh, kind things that you've said about the podcast. The website is there for you to interact with. We'll be putting up some reviews due course over the course of the year. And email us, get in contact, hello at filmseekers.com. So it's on to our 
news for today. And uh, your two favourite woke bros are here, woke bro <laughs> feminists. <laughs> Not that we're trying to be that at all. Um, we're just trying to understand a bit more, as I think we said this in our first couple of episodes, just trying to understand what's going on in terms of film as well. Uh, yeah. You know, a few of the names that have come up. And I guess uh, one of the things that is a constant thing that we do talk about is the female representation and the sexual abuse allegations that go on within the film world, I think they're still very important. As Vin said in his email, you know, they're still very important to talk about because out of that comes different discussions about different things. And hopefully change. And hopefully change. Yes. Aziz Ansari, who's primarily known as a comedian, who has been in a couple of films and has a very notable show on Netflix called Master of None, has been accused of uh, sexual allegations um, relating to an evening that he spent with someone last year, came out on one of these gossip websites. So because of where it appeared on the internet, people are questioning its authenticity. Yeah. And it accuses him of... Um, Sexual misconduct is how I've seen it written some places. I think to sort of sidestep that. Yeah being yeah, I slightly wanna, I unsure quite what yeah, to term I, it. I don't want to label um, it as something that it that it that it may or may not be. And he's reacted to it saying it was a perfectly consensual evening, as you probably expect he would, yeah. unless he was vastly guilty. He is seemingly, and this is something that Vin alluded to in his email, yeah. possibly, I'm not saying he is, I think people should be coming forward with allegations, whether they're male female or whatever gender they associate with yeah um you shouldn't be scared of coming forward with allegations you shouldn't be doubted for your allegations but there is some sort of consensus going around saying well this seems to have been a, a just an evening where um you went away feeling bad for what what that happened per- happened that that yeah. person had done and whether it's wrong or right it's not for me to say anything on this one. I know we're on very dicey ground. You're looking very nervous. I'm looking very nervous <laughs> talking about this. Because um, once- it is just such a such a sort of complicated subject that a lot of people feel very passionate about, but that it's very different for a lot of people. You know, as as sort of was saying, um, I'd, I'd read something about what is one person's sexual harassment isn't necessarily the same for someone else you know, along generational lines or gender lines or things like that, you know, so it's a, it is, yeah, we, we fully recognize the, the difficulty of the situation and acknowledge that, mm-hmm. but at the same time feel like we have to address it as it's, it's in the news. It's, you know, this is a major story within the world of film and television. This centers around, I guess, consent to an, to, to an extent. Yeah. And, it is important to talk about. So I went away and did a little bit of looking around and stuff so I can understand this a bit better. Uh, from a man's perspective, it's going to be very different. Well, a hetero man's perspective is going yeah. to be very different from a homosexual man or, or a bi man. Or, yeah. and, and, you know, same for bi women um, and hetero women and obviously non-binary and all the rest of it. Yes. Uh, we live in very complicated times, as we, we all know. You know, it's it's not as clear-cut as perhaps we thought everything was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I um, did some listening. I, I wanted to get some different opinions. And there's this excellent, excellent, 
excellent podcast slash SoundCloud thing that you can listen to through your browser, whatever it is. If you go to www.theheartradio.org and click on episodes, uh, there is a, a series of four episodes on there by uh, a lady called Caitlin Press, uh, who's from the States. Uh, it's a series called No, quite short, about 20, 25 minutes each. And each of them talks about her experiences so it's broken down to four four different sections advance inheritance answers and questions this is around a particularly difficult time where she had an experience with someone she wasn't sure how she felt afterwards and she she, perhaps there's a suggestion that she felt coerced and pressured and she explains it from her point of view she also discussed with other women and she also discussed with for want of a better word, the perpetrator of of this act and interviews them, changes their name, obviously. But then she also talks to her father, her father's experiences growing up with women as well and how consent plays into all of this. It's a fascinating listen. I I think for even the most self-proclaimed feminist or male feminist, shall I say, would learn something from this. Or it def- sounds very interesting. It's fantastic. So yeah, that's Caitlin Press, theheartradio.org, a series called No. Just a series of four podcasts, probably take you an hour, hour and a half to listen through them all, but I just think it just gives a brilliant perspective from a side that I hadn't explored before, not necessarily a gender side, but from just someone else's voice, from someone else's experience. It's always good to step into someone else's shoes and try to see the world from their point of view, as much as that can be a slightly academic exercise, because unless you have walks in their shoes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think it's of vital importance to at least try and put yourself in the place of other people, to at least try and imagine and empathize. I think makes quite a big difference. Yeah, I think so. And in, and if we kind of bring this back to film in a way, in the same way that we both love film, we've gone away and learnt about film and, and, and sought that knowledge and different voices and different opinions. Yeah. I think that can obviously apply to pretty much anything and especially in terms of sexual conduct and consent yeah definitely Um, it it doesn't hurt to expand your knowledge of of, you know that that surely should be one of the goals of any life is just to to go out of it knowing more than you came into it knowing i mean that's kind of inevitable with you know as a baby you don't really know anything but you know that should be your goal as as you grow and change as an adult should be to learn more and i took part in um, some conversation uh, very recently uh, of which someone was constantly referencing um, the breasts of a particular actress. Yeah. And I felt quite ashamed in retrospect that I didn't call that person out openly about uh, their constant referencing to the person's attributes, very high schooly sort of references to those rather than their acting ability. And I felt I felt embarrassed at the time, but I felt I could have been much more assertive, especially since myself and you, Mike, have been having these conversations for ages. Yeah. I came away from that thing thinking if I'm going to talk the talk, I should walk the walk as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, But I I also acknowledge how difficult it can be to to do that. You know, yeah, yeah, not not that that's an excuse or anything like that, but... I, I think it's important to to at least recognise that. It's it's something I have thought about recently mm. with uh, some conversations I have not necessarily been a part of, but been privy to mm. at my workplace Okay, that uh, are definitely beyond what I consider acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's trying to balance sort of my opinions versus this other person's opinions. Sure. It's, a, it's a work thing. So, you know, you have to get along with everyone to a degree. 
but I think that's also perhaps letting myself off a little easier mm. um, to just, oh, well, I'm just, you know, keeping, I'm not rocking the boat. Mm. Um, whereas, like you say, it's it's something that if you believe in, you should speak up about. Yeah. Um, regardless of the situation. And so it's it's something I personally am going to be trying to be better on in 2018. Yeah. Is to, to challenge those notions when I hear them from others. I've slowly been doing that but this this particular incident i'm referring to i could have done more and i should have done more and i'm i'm i take it as a great shame on my part that i didn't do more and i i guess i'm i'm questioning why i didn't do that so this is for me to work out but anyway let's go back to um what we were talking about so aziz anzari in in the spotlight there for crimes of which he may or may not have committed but there's certainly things there we can learn about consent and like i said i implore you to go and seek out the heartradio.org the series of four podcasts that are out on soundcloud and all the rest of it this is fantastic from caitlin prest yeah not even necessarily learn about consent because it something like this seems to be slightly changing and Mm -hmm. and like as, as you sort of said um you know it's speaking to other people involved sort of widens our knowledge and and so any any time that you can do that it is for the better and i think it's better to look at at different viewpoints so even if you don't come away going well that's changed my mind about this you're at least thinking about it yeah and i i I think at least if you have some sort of dialogue going on there that's up to you to ultimately work with that and decide what you want to do with that so in in terms of film we'll bring it back to the film seekers podcast we are <laughs> we are seeking films uh, we're, but we're just obviously talking this is important to us and so we're talking about it and we're not trying to be woke bro feminist there's no, plenty no. for both of us to learn yeah um, we we fully acknowledge our our culpability and our lack in certain areas mm. you know it's it's i'm not we don't just say this to 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 look good or anything like that. It is it is stuff that we believe in and that we are as as we've said before trying to be better at. I think it's vitally important to keep that dialogue going, which is why I keep it as part of. I don't care whether we've said this before. I don't care whether it comes up every single week. We're still going to talk about it. Yeah. Um. And, and if it comes up in the film world, we're still going to be talking about it, and we're still going to be talking about representation of women uh, and other ethnicities, other ethnicities and, and genders, and every, yeah. anyone else who feels marginalised. There's still going to be front and centre of this podcast. I'm sorry to all. Uh, white men <laughs> who seem to dominate <laughs> and, the, and the take, agenda and take umbrage yeah. uh, others um... as a white man i don't mean i, I mean oh, no, no, no offense <laughs> none taken um, um strangely enough i don't identify with a lot of other white men other allegations going on uh, at least uh, not to brush this under the carpet but i'll breeze over it at all but Jamie Lee Curtis has stood up um, next to Eliza Dushku. Eliza Dushku, Eliza yes. Dushku. And do you want to kind of talk a bit about uh, Eliza Dushku, where, where they've worked together? And stuff? Um, so, yes, uh, Eliza Dushku was uh, starred. She was uh, she the was child. young at the time. Yes, yeah, uh, she young. was the child of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis in mm. True Lies. Which is a spy film. Yeah, a uh, sort of big blockbustery action film. 1994. Four, wow. Uh, that that makes me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> um but yes, uh basically she has come out, she has come forward with her tale of uh sexual abuse 
at the hands of the stunt coordinator mm. on that film. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's still working in, in the industry at the moment. Yeah, uh, very recently as well, was mm. involved in a number of sort of big name, big budget films. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very, an absolutely horrific story. It's a very, very sad it's, tale. It's, it's horrible to hear or to read. Um, um, especially at a high level like that, you'd think in, 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 in a film such as True Lies, you would have thought there would be safeguards in place or yeah. at least like, you know, some awareness of something going on. And for a stunt coordinator, I don't know if they knew each other outside the film itself, but you would assume they would have met on set, and yeah. et cetera. So for this sort of thing to carry on is, is awful. Jamie Lee Curtis, um, who I think is, is, is a great role model for women all over the yeah. world. She plays very strong characters, even in the Halloween films. Um, you yeah. know, she is that strong final girl yeah. uh, in, in, in those that, films. That arguably birthed the idea of the final, final girl. girl. Yeah. Um, uh, she's, she's quite outspoken mm-hmm. in, in a way that I think is, is commendable. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, you know, in uh, a lot of women won't possibly or haven't in the past because of fear of damage to their career, you know, legitimate fears. Yeah, yeah, sure. um, but that, that doesn't seem to be something that has sort of bothered Jamie Lee Curtis. I've, she's always been very forthright, which I, you know, I think is, is good. I'm, I'm struggling to think the last film I saw Jamie Lee Curtis in at the moment. She's going to be in the new Halloween film, by the hmm. way, uh, which is coming out later this year. But I can't think of the last film I saw Jamie Lee Curtis in. No, I've mainly seen her in TV recently. Okay. Well, anyway, this story is obviously going on. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's come out in support of her as well. A bit strange, considering that Arnold Schwarzenegger was pulled up on uh, an allegation for uh, groping a journalist, Anna Richardson, who uh, we know in the UK. Uh, she's now a presenter, Deep yeah. Fringe, you know who you know who <laughs> I mean. And uh, that went to court and everything, and it was settled out of court. So take from that what you will. Yeah, although, again, not that any form of abuse or anything like that, a sexual harassment is acceptable, but for me, there is a clear delineation or, or you know between something with an adult and something with a child oh of course of you course know. yeah um, absolutely i you know you know one's a a greater crime than the, than yeah, the other certainly. to because of um, the age yeah um, you, you you remove a large amount of consent you know it's it, it's far less possible for a child to consent to something because they don't understand what it is they would be consenting to absolutely um, and obviously if it's if it's groping in the case of Arnold Schwarzenegger, there is no consent, but still alleged, um, alleged, yes, alleged, um, alleged. Um, no, no one really knows quite what was settled what outside. Happened, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it did go to court, and it's it's on Wikipedia. If you want to read it, <laughs> uh, look up Schwarzenegger versus Richardson. It's there. Um, so I think slightly contradictory. I think Mr. Schwarzenegger should have kept quiet uh, after this uh, and privately reached out to yeah. uh, uh, the person uh, Elisa. Eliza, Eliza. I think I'm. I'm not. Eliza Dishku. He should have privately reached out to her rather than put on his Twitter uh, grandstanding. Yeah. Someone who's seen it all, Sharon Stone. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now she was on a CBS morning show being interviewed by um, what's his name, Lee Cowan. He came up with the question, you know, obviously regarding all these um, allegations that are now coming out. It's in the news a lot at the moment. So, so he asked the question, you know, has she ever experienced anything like this? And what was her reaction, Mike? Uh, She laughed out loud in his face. It's, it's at, it's both quite funny and heartbreakingly sad that sort of 
Yeah, that 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 is her response. It's strange because she she seems quite okay with it, you know. But it's it's almost like she's numb to it. Like, yeah, she's accepted. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the norm. And I'm laughing because why is everyone making a big deal about this now? Because it's been going on for so long, and it's almost like she's fatigued. Yeah, that's um, that's, that's I, what I, I get also, from that response. I, it, it's also a sort of there's there's uh, ruefulness to the laughter. It's a uh, are you are you mm. really asking me that? Of course I have. I've been in this business for twenty even years. Says, yeah, you know 20, yeah. how since I, I was in my twenties. Yeah, and can you imagine what it was like back then? And yeah. so it's the forty, she's, 40 she's, years. Beg your pardon. Yeah. She's been in business for forty years. Um, wow, Sharon Stone. But she's she's almost laughing at him asking the question, not at the subject matter of the question or or of of what it brings up but just the fact that he felt the need to ask that question where i'm guessing she's sort of saying you shouldn't have to ask that question yeah it's implied that Absolutely. i have dealt with this Absolutely. in some shape or form yeah. and that in and of itself is is horrifying you know talking about things that have been going on since day dot in terms of sexual allegations woody allen's names come up yes again mm-hmm. Synonymous with Polanski for allegations against him. However, Allen's case is slightly different to Polanski in the fact that Allen was never convicted. He was tried by two different states and well, he was exonerated in both yeah. cases. Not to say that he is innocent. Innocent or to, well, he is innocent as far as the law is concerned. In, but but yeah. but but morally, you know, he has maybe, not been tried since. Or, yeah, yeah, and, and even then, it's one where I'm I, not meaning to sort of go down this road but these investigations found that they couldn't that's not to say that there isn't something there if you know absolutely you know Um, litigation and legal stuff you know there are certain uh technical details that you certainly you know you can't pin something or someone if something's not quite right in your evidence Um, or whatever that may be so yeah it's something that we can't really know but what we do know from the investigation and the case that was put forward is the fact that Mr. Allen is uh, a tr- has had a lot of trouble in his life. Yeah. He married his stepdaughter. Read into that what you will. Alec Baldwin's come out in support of him. Alec Baldwin, known for having quite forthright views that perhaps yeah. go against the tide, and I respect him for that. You know, he's he's bold enough to come out and and, and defend his own views. Yeah. Where, and if it doesn't go against, if he goes against the tide, he goes full against the tide. Yeah, he sticks with sticks by his guns, kind of thing. Yeah, and I I respect him, and and, and you know, it's always important to listen to the the alternative discourse. Yeah, whether you agree with it on. Or yes, not. entirely. I, and I think there's much to, to gain from that as well. I think we've talked enough about this sort of stuff and I don't want to go down the route of art versus artists. Yeah. We've done this many a time. It's an interesting one. If you have any views, let us know. Filmseekers at Filmseekers on Twitter or hello at Filmseekers.com if you want to send us an anonymous email. Uh, it'd be great to have your views on your takes on any of the stuff that we've talked about in the news. They're not very nice stuff as, as always. Not really shifting off the subject... But let's just move on to our second point today. Moving and, slightly tangentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, wish, I wish we weren't, if I'm honest with you. So some men's rights activists have released a version of Star Wars The Last Jedi that removed all women, but is only 46 minutes long. Come on, guys. Have yeah. you not got anything to, better I mean, to do with your time? Just the phrase men's right activists <laughs> just rubs my back the wrong way. I, I can already feel my hackles rising. 
I, I saw the info file, which is a little sort of text file that goes with these torrent. It's torrented, by the way. It's taken yeah. from a cam source or a whatever it's telescreen or source. Yes, strangely they... enough, Disney or Ryan Johnson are not involved <laughs> in, in this, this cut of this film. Yeah. Um, You'll al- be surprised to hear. Although, look out for it on DVD, uh, DVD or Blu-ray <laughs> soon. I've seen the text file that goes along with these torrents. Um, they have detailed every single cut that they've made to The Last Jedi and justified each cut that they've yeah. made to say, the story is there. I've just We've just taken out all this other extraneous stuff. Pathetic entirely um the idea that the women of the film are extraneous to the story is frankly insulting on a base level how can you have a what hour 50 film yeah um well no two hours two two hours 20 i think reduced to 46 minutes and and say that you haven't lost anything you know it's it's just ludicrous it reminds me of that uh touring theater company the is it the condensed Shakespeare company who do it all? Oh yes, no, I have heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> who do like Shakespeare plays in like three seconds and yeah. do the entire works of Shakespeare in the entirety of an evening? Um, who I are suspect, amazing. Yeah, I was going to say I suspect there's more thought and <laughs> wit and creativity has gone into those yeah. um, to condense them down. Seriously, what's the point, guys? Get a hobby, you know, play more Warcraft or whatever you you do in your spare time. I mean, why would why would you go out and uh, and you know you know what this is? I I kind of tweeted this out from my personal account uh, a few weeks ago. Toxic masculinity is related directly to toxic fandom. Yes, I I I think that's a salient point. I was being quite flippant at the time when I said it, but I think the two are very much linked and they're very close. You know. I know a lot of people have a lot of love for Star Wars. I'm not trying to denigrate that. No. By any means. What I'm trying to say is that some people have this fandom about Star Wars that's very possessive, feel like they have some ownership because they have these very strong feelings of nostalgia to them. Yeah. And almost like a cons- an obsessive sort of compulsion to love everything star wars and everything has to be canon but everything has to be set within the parameters within their parameters parameters. as well yes correct and all the parameters of their peers that they associate with all the people that they look up to and anyone who comes to with anything slightly different is seen as uh, an enemy of the state yeah. and must be taken down. And uh, well done, guys. Your 46-minute version of Star Wars, um, I'm sure we'll be playing to the masses soon. <laughs> you know. Yeah, go back to taking your red pills or... <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> can, we, can we move on? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> let's. we'll... Let, let's, we're done with the news today. So yeah. that was the rubbish news for today. Two points about two very rubbish things going on in the world. But let's, let's move on to something positive. Let's start afresh. It's 2008 we're all still writing 2017 on checks and all sorts of thought (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i've Uh, done that a few times there we are so um it is 2018 and the year starts in earnest with the sundance film festival run by a very nice man i'm not sure if it still is uh robert redford uh, yeah he he has a he has a part in it he was yeah one of the and, and he created yeah. helped to help to 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 start it like you say so some of the films that are playing at sundance will come to the uk and i think the picture house group uh picture house central will play a lot of these films and do i think it's a five-day festival or something yeah that they'll play a lot of the films that play at sundance but that's not until much later in the year i think may time i'm not sure if they changed the date this year however the sundance film festival is going on this january from the 18th to the 
8th, you can see a multitude of films. Now, the jury was announced, Mike. Do you want to go through the jury names? Uh, yes. So we have um, Shirley MacLaine from the band Garbage. Shirley Manson. Manson, sorry, yes. That's all right. Shirley MacLaine is uh, someone else. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, then we also have uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, who most recently probably seen in uh, Call Me By Your Name. Uh, we also have RuPaul, and then the name of the last judge is escaping me right now. Jada Pinkett Smith. There we go. So yes, quite a quite a diverse group there. Um, Very much so. You've got someone. I'm not sure how RuPaul identifies, but obviously someone who um, dresses in drag. Yeah, um, is a drag artist. Is a drag artist. Jada Pinkett Smith, the wife of uh, Will Smith. Obviously, Jada's been in lots of films of her yeah. own. <laughs> Obviously, Will Smith was on the Cannes jury last year, which to everyone's surprise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't necessarily associate Will Smith with watching Groundbreaking International Fair. No, you think more bright. Uh, yeah. Well, let's just move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Shirley Manson, I've not seen her in any films, but she was um, she was in that Terminator series, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yes, she as was. As a Terminator. <laughs> and she was very good to see, I thought. Yeah, she no, was, no. She was in it. Okay, you I'll didn't like her. she was in it. And Michael Stolberg, you're a big fan of Michael Stolberg. Yes, right? I think he's amazing. Um, I have been a fan of his since I... I think the first thing I saw him in was actually a TV show, Boardwalk Empire. Okay, um, and he's in... He's in. I mean, obviously, call, call me by your name, you said. Yeah, he's also uh, in a film that's coming out shortly in this year, uh, The Shape of Water. Yeah, uh, out I, in the I, States already, but yeah, yeah coming but out in the UK for, soon. For us, for UK audiences, which I thought he was brilliant in. And Stolberg's nominated for an Oscar this year. Um, uh, uh, for his well supporting supporting role for that amazing speech at the end of Call Me by Your Name. Yeah. And I think I think it's nothing but an amazing speech. And I know a lot of people go, Oh yeah, it's pretty obvious he was gonna get nominated for that speech. It's well written speech, well delivered speech. It's a powerful moment, yes. Uh but I think the way that he acted it out gave it some uh, poignancy and, and 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 definitely put that full stop on the end of that speech i've spoken to people whose uh fathers have denied them when coming out to them yeah and they found his admission in that speech i'm trying to skirt around it not yeah. to spoil it for people uh, but his admission in that speech is uh was taken to heart so much so that they cried in in the cinema because yeah, yeah. they had experienced something something similar negative end rather than yeah. the positive end of that so uh, if you haven't seen call me by name you need to see it end of yeah as you said a uh, very diverse uh, jury there now some of the films that are playing at sundance we've been kind of skirting around the sort of dramatic competition that's what they call the u.s dramatic competition it's a very dramatic title in itself <laughs> isn't it <laughs> loads and loads of stuff on on in the u.s dramatic blaze is one film and that's from directed by ethan hawke and written by ethan hawke and sybil rosen and it follows a sort of a, a reimagining of kind of like life and times of this person called Blaze Foley, who was an unsung songwriting legend um, in, in Texas. And I guess it's, it feels very much like a walk the line sort of thing, but maybe set in olden times uh, yeah, um, in, in, the, and, and in the Wild with, West. With someone that you wouldn't have heard of. Yeah. Uh, where obviously walk the line is Johnny Cash, who was quite quite well known. Sure, um, um, I, I think this maybe even like hints at uh, Searching for Sugar Man, which was that fantastic documentary, yeah. which was a fairly unknown person 
uh, and they were trying to find out who he was and uh, kind of like a little bit of a hint of that. So I think Benjamin Dickey plays Blaze in this film by, by what I understand and the other supporting casts. Uh, the only person I know is Aaliyah Shawcat. Aaliyah Shawcat, who was in... Uh, uh, she's in Arrested Rest Development. She's also uh, in Green Room is the thing I most recently saw her in, oh. in which she is brilliant. Oh, yeah, cool. uh, She is the bassist. Okay. Um, other films on, on this list as well. Uh, Burden uh, from Andrew Heckler, who's written and directed this one. It's, uh, the, the tagline is, after opening a KKK shop, as you do. I mean, yeah. We've got one round the corner. Um, sells all sorts. Pillowcases. Tiki torches. <laughs> the, all, all, your, all your clan's needs. <laughs> all your essentials. Yeah. Um, so after a KK, opening a KKK shop, clansman Michael Burden falls in love with a single mum who forces him to confront his senseless hatred. After leaving the clan with nowhere to run, Burden is taken in by an African-American reverend and learns tolerance through their combined love and faith. Stars Garrett Headland, Forrest Whitaker, Andrea Riseborough, and Tom Wilkinson, and Usher. This sort of hints at being very similar to an awful lot of stuff that we've seen. Even Garrett Headland was in Mudbound last yeah. year, which dealt with race quite openly in a in a time where Klansmen were quite prominent. I don't know what I feel about just the tagline. Obviously, I haven't seen the film or anything, but just the story doesn't feel very progressive i think we've moved past this now i think the majority of the progressive world has moved past this obviously there are always going to be people that are still behind the times do we need to still keep churning out american history x essentially i i understand that point of view um i think possibly the past year year or so maybe two years in america have proven that these stories are still painfully relevant, unfortunately. Like you say, it should be something that we no longer have to address or deal with because it's no longer the issue that it was. But unfortunately, I, d- I just I don't think that's the case. Don't get me wrong. It's all about how it's handled for me. Mm-hmm. That, that tagline could be an, an awful film or in the right hands, that could be a brilliant film. Mm-hmm. It's all on how it's handled, how it's written, how it's acted, how it's directed. So, yeah, I, I wait, I'll wait and see. I, I try not to prejudge based off taglines. It's, you know, it's, or, or synopsis or anything sure. like that. It's, it's something that we all do, but at the same time, I, I think it's something we should watch against. I, I, I completely agree. You know, if someone told me there was a film about an elephant that could fly with its ears, you know, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> turned out to be quite good. Just a bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, there, were, there are loads of other films on here. I just want two more highlights. Lizzie, uh, which follows the 1980, uh, 1980, 1892 murder of Lizzie Borden's family in Fall River and this uh, in Massachusetts. And this is a, a psychological thriller, follows the very famous case of Lizzie Borden and it stars Chloe Savini. Uh, who did a brilliant turn, who I saw in Love and Friendship the year before last. With, yeah, with uh, uh, Kate, Kate Beckinsale. Beckinsale. Yeah, uh, brilliant. And I believe she's been doing music with Soul Wax at the moment, which is fantastic. <laughs> she's, been doing, she's been doing narration of poetry yeah. over some music composed by Soul Wax. Oh, wow. Which is fantastic. Uh, I heard of uh, some on the radio the other day. And it's also got Kristen Stewart's who I don't think would have signed up to this unless it was particularly interesting. She does seem to be on a bit of a run of, of picking really distinctive and, and unique sort of films and performances for herself. I think that obviously she probably still does the odd thing near and here and there. It's a bit duff. Uh, we think about American Ultra, the Max Landis film, which is pretty poor. I kind of enjoyed. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a... Uh... 
some impairment required film. Have a couple drinks with your friends, you know, something like that. You can enjoy it. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good film, sure, but it's it's not unenjoyable. Okay, and um, I, I think you know the two of them that came out of Twilight have done pretty well. Yeah, both of them have sort of. Uh, they are they are both on on a run of I think largely picking projects based off of directors and and people that they seem to want to work with i know at least robert pattinson has come out and said as much and and, and that's something to 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 be applauded i think and, absolutely and is very good of them you know that sort of they could have rested on their laurels they could have coasted and neither of them is doing that they are both trying to challenge themselves as performers as actors to make themselves grow which i i think is awesome for an artist i I think it's also this whole uh rebellion thing of where they made their name yeah Uh, and we've seen this in daniel radcliffe as well they're just going for things that are going to push away from the things that they were known yeah avoid being pigeonholed uh you know or typecast Mm -hmm. which is sort of a quite a prevalent concern in in hollywood so yeah absolutely those, those two are, those two are great and finally the the last film in uh u.s dramatic competition at uh sundance is the miseducation of cameron post uh directed by desiree akavan she also screen wrote it as well uh with uh cecilia frugulelli apologies cecilia <laughs> um and this is set in 1993. After being caught having sex with the prom queen, a girl is forced into a gay conversion therapy centre. Quite challenging for the time that it's set in, but also very interesting now as well how that would probably be accepted, I think, to an extent. Depends, depends on, on what part of America... And the, the people involved, involved as well, yeah, you sure. know, the parents or, or whoever say, sadly, sure. gay conversion therapies still a thing. Mm. It, it, you know, again something that shouldn't be at this point but it is but, but, but perhaps more accepted than obviously it would oh, have been certainly yeah, yeah. yeah um it's got a great cast uh chloe grace moretz who once again is one of these young actors that is picking interesting roles yeah. away from the stuff that they were known for so kick ass in this case and um sasha lane who is the main star of american honey which was one of my favorite films of year before the andrea arnold film and uh if you haven't seen that that's her acting debut and i have to say she carries the film completely so get get your head around american honey at some point i think it's on a few streaming sites and yeah that film is the miseducation of cameron post we are going to talk about berlin film festival on our next podcast so stay tuned for that one the one other thing in sort of upcoming films that i kind of really want to touch on there's two actors that we we very much like mike uh one is Leia costa yeah who uh you may be aware of thanks to uh victoria the film from a few years ago, German yeah. film. Sebastian Schipper was the yes. director. Uh, of it's film. the one take. Yes. It's probably how you are aware of a bit it. bit like this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think slightly more, no offence to you, <laughs> no, but sorry. slightly more slickly put together that no, one. No, yeah, um, very much so. I wasn't involved in Victoria, so I wasn't <laughs> able to drag it down the way I do they, this they, show. they actually shot it three times and they, yeah. they went with the final take. The third and final take, take yeah. yeah. Before the, uh, the sun came up, so... Uh, it is a it is a technical. And I think marvel. the battery ran out on the camera, camera. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's a very impressive film and a very impressive performance.
performance as well uh, for Leia Costa. Uh, and then the other actor is Josh O'Connor. Who, yeah, who we saw in uh, God's Own Country last year. Yeah, which is a film we were um, both very, very keen on. You, If you listened to the podcast before, you have heard us talk about that yeah. film. Um, and so, yeah, the prospect of the two of them in a project together immediately entices me. Yeah. And the same is true for yourself. Yeah, very much so. This this film comes out via the Bureau, who are a UK production company. They've already cracked out a few brilliant bangers of films. Lean on Pete, which comes out later on this year, which is the Andrew Hay film. Yeah. And Andrew Hay, you may have seen, uh, did 45 Years, um, which was the uh, film about ageing love. Um, he also did Weekender as well, which was the gay relationship on a, a council estate i yeah. think it was um it's quite an explicit film but i think just brilliant in the fact that hey we're seeing an explicit film from from the, the homosexual side basically i love the weekend i think it it really portrays life from that perspective in an authentic way yeah they've also uh, done uh daphne as well which came out last year tail ending uh, nominated for biffers as well Emily Beecham. I keep wanting to calling her Stephanie Beecham, but she was in Dynasty, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> and now I'm showing my age. Um, so yeah, uh, the Bureau seemed like the equivalent, the UK's equivalent of A24. Yeah. A24 is a very hip, trendy uh, production outfit who champions some of the great films. So like Moonlight last year, Good Time as well. Yeah, A24 pretty much batting a hundred for for me. I've loved every film i've seen that they've brought out brought out so far and from what i hear the bureau seems to be the same yeah our, our uk equivalent and you know i'm, I'm good, definitely going to go support them uh costa's going to appear at sundance as well um she's going to be in a film called piercing by uh, nicholas pesky and uh that will come out obviously before only you but only you sounds like an interesting story of two people who fall in love intensely over a new year's eve yeah i'd like to see how that that pans out um maybe even a one-shotter that would be quite that would <laughs> yeah. be quite good as well um, and, and obviously you mentioned to me uh before we started recording that um josh o'connor has been nominated for the ee rising star award at the baftas this yeah. year the baftas being our equivalent of the oscars um, yeah and yeah every year they nominate uh, a selection of actors and actresses for uh coming up through the ranks and, and yeah it's sort of the 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 debuts the they're, they're making splashes it's it's ones to watch it's a kind of yeah this person is going places yeah uh, so i believe will poulter one in previous years john boyega mm-hmm. another one who are both you know doing big things yeah absolutely and um leia costa was actually nominated last year so um, yeah. you know two on the trot here so this is a combination for an excellent film so and i I think they're definitely two actors to watch going forward as well so only only you on our watch lists already that is the festival news and uh news for this week uh we'll be back after this quick message hey everyone i'm jason michael and i'm lee brady and we're the atlantic screen connection podcast we're a podcast that looks to analyze what makes films great with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. You can find the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. And if you're looking for a more direct approach, you can find us on Twitter. Just look for Jason Michael at Atlantic SC and Lee Brady at Big Pick Reviews. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. Let the games begin. 
very, very kind supporters of our show there, Jason and Lee. Lee no longer of Big Pick Reviews, both of them concentrating solely on doing the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. They analyse films in ways that perhaps we don't uh, from a psychological point of view, but also in depth using critical theory as well. Quite academic in places. Very much and... so. I, I, I didn't think you could get an academic conversation out of Star Wars and Last Jedi, but hey, I listen to their podcast. I'm not a big fan of Star Wars, but I listen to their podcast and they, they come up with some very good reasoning uh, and, and academically research some of this, mostly from the Susie Dent of... Uh, podcast <laughs> and that would be lee who just comes out with some of the f- most fascinating facts uh, and about theories the mo- and, yeah, and about the most of... innocuous things yeah um the man is a genius highly uh you can send the check to to mike <laughs> actually it's his turn this this week top tens we talked about not wanting to rank things uh, <laughs> but this is fact and this is set in stone um so this is this week's stuff the UK box office top 10 countdown. And sat at number 10 is Molly's Game. We were both looking forward to this before Christmas. Yeah, it's not one I've had a chance to watch yet. As as previously stated, I've been slightly shoddy with my film watching recently um, and struggling to sort of find the time. Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba are two uh, amazing talents. So I would quite happily watch anything they are in. In its second week of release, it was released on New Year's Day over here in the UK. And it's already at number 10. Doesn't kind of bode well for it. No, it doesn't look like it's found the audience that you perhaps would have expected No, for a film with such uh, bankable stars. Absolutely. Um, let's hear from the lady herself, uh, Jessica Chastain. She isn't joining us on the podcast. <laughs> going to oh, that would be amazing. Introduce a Skype call. <laughs> Hi, Jessica. Uh, do you want to tell us about stuff? Uh, no. This is Molly, uh, Molly Bloom, the central character is based on a true story. Yeah. Uh, where she is, well, she sets up her own game, and I'll, I'll let Molly talk for herself. The game was mine now. I incorporated, and Molly Bloom event planning was born. I paid taxes and 1099 my employees. I never became romantically or sexually involved with any of the players. The game would have fallen apart. This was back when I was still making good decisions. And I went to a lawyer to make absolutely sure all this was legal. Are you taking a rake? No. Then you're not breaking the law. So can I give you some advice? Please. There's a saying in my business, don't break the law when you're breaking the law. What do you mean? No drugs, no prostitutes, no muscle to collect debt. Oh, I don't do anything like that. But you just said I wasn't breaking the law. You want to keep it that way because you don't want to break the law when you're breaking the law. Am I breaking the law? Not really. We're able to find out for sure, aren't we? Laws are written down. You're not taking a percentage of the pot? No. You're running a square game. Uh, so that's Molly Bloom there outlining what she does. Um, a lady who built herself from uh, tragedy, stood up again, gone with it, got caught for doing something very minimal, actually. Um, directed and uh, written by Aaron Sorkin. I did a podcast on this very recently. And I have to say that I enjoyed the film. However, I think uh, it's a fairly low middling bar for Sorkin himself, who I pitch right up there. I particularly yeah. like Steve Jobs. However, I've I've talked to my girlfriend and uh, she thought it was one of the best films she's seen in, in recent times. Um, she really connected with the character of Molly, loved the journey, went with someone else who also equally felt as um, strongly as of the character, really loves Jessica Chastain, not only as a philanthropist outside of acting but as, as well. Work, 
as a talent as a talent as yeah. well um we've said this before two beautiful people in this film they are beautiful people jessica chastain and idris elba uh, and both fantastic screen presences yeah. not only as an image on screen but also in the way that they act as well and they apparently did the whole thing in 10 days their acting parts wow which is astounding <laughs> yeah and considering it's aaron sorkin as well with that's the a lot of dialogue, dialogue. <laughs> to get recorded yeah could have fooled me i, I would have <laughs> thought it would have at least taken six months it's so convincing but they are consummate professionals yeah i love both of them as as um talents so molly's game sits there at number 10 number nine it is all the money in the world. Ridley Scott recasting uh, someone else who did it in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I, I believe, again, possibly another 10 days. It was or... a 10 day Yeah, Yeah, so Christopher Plummer was parachuted in to replace Kevin Spacey after he was disgraced with uh, various allegations against him. Starring Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams, a story of a, a true story. Yeah, uh, which is like has slight poetic license about it, as all these things do, based on a true story. Yeah, uh, the grandson of uh, John Paul Getty the third is, uh, or John Paul Getty, beg your pardon, is kidnapped in Italy somewhere, uh, and he is held to ransom. And the father, who is one of the richest man in the world at that point, I think, uh, grandfather, beg your pardon, um, refuses to pay the ransom, and slowly horrible things happen. The Italian mafia slash kidnapper is played by roman juris who is a french actor who's playing an italian kidnapper <laughs> doesn't matter where in europe you come from you'll do <laughs> uh, yeah i suspect it would to, to some americans it's all the same it's all the same um i really enjoyed the film it's slightly a little bit too baggy for me but ridley scott's uh eye for a, a, a captivating image is certainly all over this piece Wahlberg's very muted i love that I'm not a fan of Wahlberg. Uh, we've discussed Mark Wahlberg outside yep. of acting in the past. I think he has very few roles in which I particularly like. And Boogie Nights probably springs to mind as probably one of the few films that I, I can definitely take to. Yeah. And Michelle Williams as the distraught mother, I think she does great work in this film as well. So all the money in the world uh, there at number nine. Number eight. It is Pitch Perfect Free. I'm not a fan of the Pitch Perfect films. I gave the first one a half try. You like these, Mike. I was I was going to open with Aka, excuse me. <laughs> How Aka day? Because, I, I, yeah, personally, I thought the first film was a joy. It's it's one I went into, possibly th- this this helped, but I went into with quite low expectations. Okay. Um, it does it very, it's very clever in that it acknowledges that the world of acapella singing and and glee clubs and that kind of thing is faintly ridiculous or if not faintly fully ridiculous and it it leans into that ridiculousness in a way that i think really worked for the film the second one not as much there was still some joy to be had but it it definitely didn't hit quite the same level um and then i've heard that the Third continues the downward trajectory. Mm. Um, it's great, great people involved. Uh, uh, Anna Kendrick, I think, is is brilliant in everything she's in. Rebel Wilson, Rebel Wilson, Haley Steinfeld, okay. who who joined the cast in the second one, I think, is great. Um, I know Elizabeth Banks directed the, the second. second. One, yeah. Um, so you know, and 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 has been in all of them. So that there is talent there. Do you think this is the death knell for the series now? I think it probably should be from from what I've heard at least having not seen the film so I can't 100% say but 
for me, it sort of lost it when they started to move away from the college setting. The college setting helped to ground it right. and make it seem more believable. Once you take these characters out of that, it just doesn't work as well. Okay, it's, it's a fairly short film. I think it's around the 90-minute mark. Um, it's four weeks in. It's clearly done something to stay in the top ten. It's yep. there at number eight. We talked about all the money in the world and Molly's game. They've only done two weeks each, and they're both at number nine and ten, respectively. Yeah, pitch perfect free. Number seven. Coco. In previews, in fact, not properly out until this week, but it still managed to squeak in there with preview numbers this is uh, this is uh, the power of pixar it is the power of pixar this is a by the way this is a live box office uk top 10 so it's not the one that you will get officially on other other sources yeah. so this is actually by week uh you have the inside knowledge listening to this podcast it did preview saturday and sunday uh the weekend just gone just to get a bit of the hype up for yeah. it being accused of ripping off the book of life uh which was uh the animation not too long ago with channing tatum and mila kunis i think it was i believe so yes um, i thoroughly enjoyed that film i've not seen coco yet are you particularly bothered about this film yeah, I love all of the Pixar right. films so far. So I they instantly get a attempt from me. It's it's not getting a pass, mm. but it, it's it's got a watch at the very least from me. I I, I think in terms I, I I enjoy the Pixar films as well, but I think in terms of excitement for it, I'm just not really that bothered about it, it. It doesn't. I'm not looking forward to this the same way I was looking forward to say Inside Out. Okay. It, it looks quite visually inventive and things like that, but it, it doesn't it doesn't have that sort of universal appeal that I think the great Pixar films tend to have. Sure. Of it's it's something that everyone can identify with instantly. I remember imagining what would happen if my toys were alive, or I I can imagine the little people living inside my head, sure. running my brain. Whereas the 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 afterlife and and you know i i think it sort of yeah it possibly depends on cultural or personal uh feelings towards that of of how readily you will identify with that maybe yeah interesting that they've taken on board uh, mexican culture as well this film came out last year uh in the states i think late november and uh so it's getting a january release here it's a bit of a cultural swap actually because the US this week are getting Paddington 2 so <laughs> yeah we're doing a little trade we're doing a little bit of a trade yeah, well, I, I, yeah I think out. America might got the better of that deal <laughs> um, apparently no one's going to see Paddington 2 which is uh, a darn shame which is a travesty yeah but what do we expect eh? <laughs> number six it's Star Wars The Last Jedi yes it's still there five <laughs> weeks on it's taken the second most amount of money or so these things don't account for inflation and passage of time and yeah. stuff. So I, that's rather silly uh, in terms of statistics. Uh, we spoke about this in dispatches a bit earlier on in terms of the, the special director's 46 minute cut. <laughs> oh, not, not directors. Cause I wouldn't want to anyone just perhaps to tar Ryan Johnson with that awful, awful brush. Um, but uh, did the, you enjoy this film? The, the douchebag director. The douchebag cut. cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, um, I'll go with that. I I did enjoy it. It's one where um, I possibly wasn't in the best frame of mind to watch it. I'd been awake for about, I think, maybe 18, 19 hours by that point. And I nodded off slightly for a few seconds once or twice during it. Not a comment on the film at all. Okay. Like I say, I, I, I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It had me sort of involved. 
I was just super tired sitting in a darkened room having a drink, you know, having a beer. So I, I sort of shot myself in the foot there. Um, but but I did enjoy it. I, I thought it did quite well to build on some of the ideas of the first, but at the same time do its own thing and, and very much felt like its own film. I am a big fan of Ryan Johnson's and I felt he brought his own style to it. Number five. Insidious, the last key. Interesting how they've uh, omitted that it's in fact Insidious 4. Mm. Um, kind of getting to that stage now, like sort of similar with the paranormal activity. Uh, they have taken the parapsychological lady yeah. um, as the central character now. It's shifted away from the original family, but I think there are some elements that sort of bring this back. I'm not, I, I got bored after the second Insidious, if I'm honest with you. Uh, the second city has still had a few of the original players, so Patrick Wilson and uh, Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne, I yeah, still came back for the second one. The second one was poor in, in relation to the first. I enjoyed the first when Darth Maul turned up. Brilliant, um, <laughs> but. Insidious, the last key. You know, when you get to number three and four, I'm I'm already checked out. Yeah, horror films often do get into the higher numbers with sequels, but I'm really struggling to think of any time that that provided a great film. No, I, unless it's a culty film, of course. I mean, yeah. think of stuff like the. Uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah, uh, Freddy versus Jason, Jason I, yeah. I quite enjoy, but that's not to say that it's a good film. And some of the, I think some of the latest, I didn't even make it that, so I didn't really bother with many of the latest Saw chapters because I actually lost myself in Saw 2 and I just found myself in Saw 2 and Saw 3 just waiting for the horrific torture elements yeah. to it. And I was wondering, oh, how does this contraption work and what will happen to such and such a person? So horrific things like the needle pit i thought was quite inventive and yeah. it appealed to the sort of masochistic side of me of, of the, the that sort of horror fiend like sadistic i think masochistic, masochistic. <laughs> the, the masochistic is um your own pain uh, sadistic yeah. is others pain so. i don't jump into needle pits <laughs> no Sorry. i did i did i did mean uh, sadistic um, so yeah i have a slight sadistic twinge i mean i, I think things. most people do that that's, that's horror films, why yeah. horror sort of works as a yeah. genre a lot of the time yeah but yeah once once sort of they they tend to keep on going they start to lose some of what made them great in the first place a lot of the time so it's it's not really worth the bother number four the greatest showman hugh jackman puts on his uh singing boots once again uh, and this is the story of pt barnum who invented sort of the great show a spectacle where he would showcase people that you've never seen before so small people people with features that you you know and people who could achieve things and do things it's got a very modern soundtrack so you imagine watching something like a step up film it's got that sort of feel to it some yeah. of these songs but it's all set in like the turn of the century sort of time yeah. very weird uh, i've i've speaking to someone yesterday and she said to me that um, that's the reason why it didn't work for her. It just felt a bit jarring having yeah. those modern songs with that modern sort of almost hip hoppy sort of sound running through it. But in a sort so, of turn of the century, century setting. Time. Yeah, yeah it's very strange. I said that, I, you know, you could level some of these accusations at uh, Les, Les Miserables a few, yeah. a few years ago, but they didn't have that much of a sort of modern-y sort of feel. I think it's more grand, if yeah. anything. Yeah, an uh, operatic 
and um, Hugh Jackman was uh, great in that film. I, I, I really loved him in in, in uh, Les Miserables. I haven't seen The Greatest Showman. I know someone who's seen it like ten times now, <laughs> literally ten yeah. times. Yeah, I also um, know that person. Yeah, and um, um, and then others who have absolutely hated it on first watch. Right. Okay. Um, so it it does seem to be quite polarizing. And and. But it seems to be working for a family audience. The PG film, lots of PG films floating around. It's a bit of an anomaly because it usually skews left or right. You either go to a U certificate or a 12A yeah. certificate. Lots of family-friendly PG fare about at the moment. And seeing as it's the sort of spectacle song and dance film, works particularly well over the festive period. Great Showman has taken a lot of money. It's in its third week. And I think we'll probably see it probably up to the fourth week, maybe even fifth week doing great numbers there's even a sing-along version that's just been released <laughs> in the usa so you know the the soundtrack is resonating for a certain audience number three jumanji welcome to the jungle this was on my list last time i think i i tweeted about this maybe a few weeks ago i really want to go and see this film i'm not sure why i think it's because there's just too much heavy prestige stuff around at the moment yeah and i just like a bit of levity i've heard very good things about this people that have seen it have come out and told me hmm yeah, confounded my expectations. A bit Breakfast Clubby in the way that it's sort of like a bunch of misfits that are sort of yeah, bandied together, forced together, and yeah. learn learn about themselves and each other, etc. And I find uh, most of the people were in it quite tolerable. So I see Karen Gillan in there, yeah, getting, getting a big role in a big Hollywood film next to The Rock, yeah, and and not under. Um, blue skin and prosthetics as she is in in guardians <laughs> the galaxy, yeah. uh, so so more recognizable as as karen gillen like you say uh the rock who has more charm in his little finger than i have in my entire body um, he's dr smolders in this film he smold <laughs> his, his special powers he smolders a lot I'm, I'm very keen to watch it i just need sometimes I need that bit of escapism and if it's done particularly well um jumanji probably is your film number two Free billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. You you hyped for this? Have you seen this one yet, Mike? Uh, it's not one I've had the chance to watch yet. Um, I'm really fingers crossed, hoping that it's going to land at my local cinema. It is okay. That's good news. A um, little bit of insider knowledge there. Um, so yes, it's it's um, one that I am very excited for. Uh, Martin McDonough's new film. So he is uh, the writer and director of In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths. Yes, uh, are his previous works. Did you like both of those? I loved In Bruges. I liked Seven Psychopaths. I couldn't get on with Seven Psychopaths for some reason. I think it, it tied itself up a bit too much. It was a definite disappointment for me. It, it has moments, so it's it's not a complete failure, but it, it definitely didn't work as well as In Bruges for me. No, and, like, and likewise for myself. I took my mum to have a mother-son bonding experience uh on saturday last weekend just me and my mum went for a nice sushi lunch hmm. uh, one of my favorite things to do and we went to go and see this at the la- nice uh, art house cinema um just uh shout out to picture house shout out to picture house <laughs> harbour lights hello um we, we love you we love your cinema um it's all been done up now it's quite nice in there. Ooh, yeah they've done everything I've been there it's, for a little while so big, yeah, yeah i need really, to get down there really nice so I took my mum to an afternoon screening on Saturday. I was quite nervous sat with her. It was quite a busy screening. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was I was nervous sitting about her, but not as I'll, 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 we'll follow this story up in a second. Not as nervous as the sheriff in the film <laughs> who then has to go and talk to the main character Mildred about why they haven't done anything in the months since her daughter 
was murdered. I'd do anything to catch the guy who did it, Mrs. Hayes, but when the DNA don't match no one who's ever been arrested, and when the DNA don't match any other crime nationwide, and when there wasn't a single eyewitness from the time she left your house to the time we found her, well, right now, there ain't too much more we can do. Could pull blood from every man and boy in this town over the age of eight. There's several rights laws prevents that, Mrs. Hayes. And what if he was just passing through town? Pull blood from every man in the country, then. Then what if he was just passing through the country? If it was me, I'd start up a database. Every male baby what's born, stick him on it. And as soon as he'd done something wrong, cross-reference it, make 100% certain it was a correct match, then kill him. Yeah, well, there's definitely civil rights laws prevents that. I'm doing everything I can to track him down. I don't think those billboards is very fair. The time it took you to get out here whining like a bitch, Willoughby. Some other poor girl's probably out there being butchered right now. But I'm glad you got your priorities straight. I'll say that for you. That's uh, some quite heavy dialogue going on there between Mildred and the town sheriff played by Woody Harrelson. Uh, the Mildred played by Frances McDormand, who's up for many many an award, and deservedly so. My God, her performance is brilliant. Believe the hype behind <laughs> this film. She commands that role of uh, a stricken mother, but with a very hard nose and won't take no for an answer, as you heard in that clip there. She sticks no nonsense. This film, I think, is probably one of the best I've seen in the last six months. I do watch an awful lot of films, from, you know, hands down, just absolutely adored it i don't care whether it's mostly a white community because it is a mostly white community because it is an enclave within a a, it's a small county yeah and it plays up to that i don't care whether it's slightly glib with its racial roles and stereotyping and gender bias etc the fact that the film works as a narrative and ignoring no i think you can ignore those things in this film because it works in a narrative as I was continuing my story, I sat next to my mother and uh, I was very sort of self-conscious about her enjoying the film. I always worry for my mum. You do. Yeah. The film started, the, the draw was quite thick, actually. Some of the accents were quite thick. I was like, is, is she getting all of this? Not yeah. that my mum's thick or anything at all like that. I'm just, you know, worried whether she was like taking everything in, the plot points and everything in. And we watched the entirety of the film. We were all transfixed. She then went to the car where I got into the driver's seat to drive her home. And she then turned around to me and she doesn't have very strong opinions on films or anything. And she turned around to me and she said, that was the best film I've ever seen. Wow. I could quite happily go back in there and watch it again. And I'm feeling a little bit emotional now just <laughs> saying that, but it made me tear up. I don't yeah. have very, my mum doesn't have very strong opinions uh, on, on these sort of things. And for her to actually say that without any prompting yeah, yeah. meant a hell of a lot to me. And it was so nice for her to, I'm so glad she took that enjoyment from film. She, yeah. she can maybe understand a bit more of what I get out of films. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, really nice of her to say how much she loved that film. And as I said, I was kind of like a bit self-conscious because it's quite sweary. Yeah. Not Deals the, with quite tough subject tough, matter. Tough subject matter. Um, it's quite violent in places as well. It all plays into the film and it works for the film. And not that my mother's a prude or anything like that. She's used to watching these sort of things by now, with, especially with me as a son. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that she took that away from her. She's not an, a particular art house watcher or anything yeah. at all like that. So she'll, 
you know, she takes the basics on um, and she, she loved the narratives. It worked for her so much that she literally, and unheard of, she wanted to go and sit back in that cinema and watch it again. Well, yeah, I, th- I think that's possibly the highest praise that can ever be heaped on a film, uh, not just from your mother, but no, from, no, no, from, from anyone, anyone. Is, is when, and, and I've had it myself, when you, when you come out of a film with that feeling of, I could quite happily just go in and watch that up, back to back again it's yeah especially for me where i don't typically i'll see a film in the cinema once and that'll be it i'll then wait until it gets released on home Mm. entertainment or Mm. whatever but when it does connect with you in that way that you do want to just sort of just go and do it again and see what more you can get out of it that second time around i think is awesome you should definitely go and watch it this week mike it'll be into week two you need to make a beeline for that i I may even join you for Mm. a second watching i I enjoyed it that much Number one. Top of the list. It's typical. It's a British film. It's expected. It's already been very much hyped. Joe Wright's take on Churchill's story during World War II. And this is Darkest Hour, not the. There's no definite definite article in this. Darkest Hour. uh, With Gary Oldman tipped for Oscar nominations. Uh, He's certainly got a BAFTA nomination, I think. Yeah. uh, For Best Actor as Winston Churchill in a prosthetic fat suit i have no interest in watching this film whatsoever i i really don't i I, there's nothing to me that says i will enjoy any any moment of it and i've had someone come up to me last night and she turned around to me and she said i went to go see darkest hour earlier on today and i really enjoyed it and i was just thinking okay why it's just a great performance okay anything else i just don't i don't know where the start point is i don't know where the end point is and what the story is what yeah. i know is that it's set during it, world war ii gary oldman as and it's gary Old- Churchill. and don't get me wrong i've just bought alan clark's box set there with mm-hmm. uh one of the finest performances from gary oldman in uh the firm yeah um i love gary oldman he's in one of my other favorite films in the last decade which is tinker taylor i think he can embody characters great i just i i'm just bored of looking back on the british empire and this nostalgia the for the for the great the, for the good old days yeah. uh, and it's like yeah you had to get that spirit out because someone was warmongering above you in in elite um situations and positions yeah. in society or or it was you know it's it's easy for everyone to pull together because everyone's white and you, you know it, it, it's it's things i don't like even think it's a race thing at all i just think it's just classist and classist and perhaps i just have this really uninterest uh, disinterest sorry in war and and celebrating well dunkirk is different in the sense that it is a young person's journey yeah it's more the experience of of someone yeah yeah and it's and i would i would argue that dunkirk really isn't about the atrocities well of course there is that element of it yeah so it's a triptych tale but they all converge and it's an interesting uh, style of amalgamating those three stories together and weaving them in and out of each other, despite the fact they're all on different timescales. Yeah, it's, it's also more immediate. It's, mm. it's about someone or someone's dealing with the consequences of a war rather than the machinations mm. that lead to or that you know help to to inspire people through war or whatever it's it's a more personalized tale 
Right. I, I think. I just can't see any dramatic interest in watching. Win- I'm sure there is, but, I, you know, for me speculating on this, I can't see any dramatic interest in Winston Churchill musing over whether he should bomb this place, that place, yeah. or what, what tactical um, suggestions he should take on board during the final throes of World War Two. Despite the fact some of my favourites are in there. Kristen Scott Thomas, yeah. I love her in pretty much everything she's in, but even her involvement's not enough to get me involved. Uh, Lily... James. James, who we saw in Baby Driver, among other films, uh, last year. Once again, I think she's a fine actress. I just can't bring myself forward to watch this film about people waving bits of paper around in Parliament going... <laughs> and Joe Wright. I love Joe Wright. I love Hannah. Yeah, one of the one of my favourite films of recent years. Yeah. Easily. Fantastic. Uh, Atonement, another Atonement, great one. Atonement, yeah. And a, a war film, again. But visually, a very arresting film. Yeah. And I just can't get on board with something that I know doesn't have much more to it than debating semantics over what the tactical position of the British army is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair enough. It's one where there's so much content out there these Mm. days that if a film isn't grabbing you, why sort of bother with it, essentially? If it hasn't done enough to get you wanting to go and see it, that's that's okay. There well, are there are plenty of others vying for your attention. There are nine other films there on the top ten list that are vying for my attention, yeah. of some of which I've actually gone and seen. And there are probably others that haven't managed to crack the top ten that you would, you know, enjoy a watch of. So Absolutely. Uh, but it's working for people, um, and it's number one of the box office yeah. for a reason. And if my sort of take on it probably give, puts it a bit of a downer on Joe Wright's latest film. Let's see if Gary Oldman can rouse us. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with, with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! And that was Gary Oldman there with a truncated version of the famous speech uh, done by Winston Churchill. And now it's time for our main feature film. My name is Webb Bist of the podcast Darn That Dream, where I explore Indian cinema and culture, and I can't remember a time when Shole didn't exist. Never mind the fact that the film is 12 years older than I am. Shole is a fairly straightforward story that actually borders on the cliché. You've got an ex-cop who hires thieves with hearts of gold to seek vengeance against a crime boss and protect a village. Nothing you haven't seen before. Heck, even in 1975, this wasn't revolutionary. But Shole is a film greater than the sum of its parts. It's the spaghetti western adapted perfectly in an Indian setting, chase sequences on horseback and train robberies fully intact. 
Salim Khan and Javed Akhtar craft a script with indelible characters and lines that have been repeated by audiences for more than 40 years. The drama is heightened, the violence is glorified, the dialogue can be very melodramatic, and all these excesses are handled very methodically and at just the right moments. And then the film goes from great to otherworldly thanks to some iconic performances of a then rising Amitabh Bachchan as one of the hired mercenaries and also of the established talent Sanjeev Kumar as the tortured ex-cop. The contrast between the two characters is essential because of how each views morality and laws. What's good and bad, right and wrong, all begin to blur. How each character makes their respective pivotal decisions is fascinating and ultimately what drives the film. And of course, I'd be doing a disservice not mentioning one of the most iconic antagonists in Indian cinema, Gabbar Singh. <laughs> <laughs> There's no heartbreaking origin story, no misunderstanding which leads the poor guy into a world of crime. No, no, he's just an agent of chaos before it was cool. Gubber Singh revels in his villainy, and Amjad Khan brings the character vividly to life. Each frame he's in is better for it. You hate him from the moment you first lay your eyes on him, but you can't deny missing every scene without him. To make the story of this film even better, it received negative reviews upon its release, but struck a chord with its audience, and it stayed on the big screen for more than five years and has become one of the highest grossing Indian films of all time. The exciting action set pieces, the beautiful camera work, wonderful characters that inhabit a fully realized world, it all adds up to an epic of epic proportions. One of the finest works of Indian fiction want to say a big thank you to webbis there for our introduction to our main feature film this week which is Cholet from 1975 starring Dharmendra, uh, Amitabh Bachchan, Amjad Khan in the villain's role uh, directed by Ramesh Sippy. Now Cholet means embers as we discussed at the top of the show yeah. uh, the version we saw uh, was a VHS version that my dad had taped off the television in the uh, late 80s uh, perfectly pausing between the adverts so when- <laughs> very impressive his timing is on point I must say I perhaps a little bit to my own uh, chagrin in that I was kind of hoping to see some uh, really old adverts so that I could laugh at their hokiness right um, but yeah even just just watching a VHS was quite a little trip down memory lane for myself yeah it was really cool to watch it on an old, old format um and uh, the fact that i still had a knocking about was a, a marvel in itself so um Cholet, michael um you have or had an aversion to watching bollywood films and as, yeah. as a a western audience and i'm gonna class you as every white person ever of course <laughs> um why did you not want to watch any bollywood films it's one where I, to be honest, I can't entirely speak to why I had this bias. I mean, a part of it is that the last time I had attempted to watch a Bollywood film was quite a while ago. Uh, so I was a lot younger. Okay. I was less accepting mm-hmm. as an audience member. I was less willing to go outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also a little bit of a pretentious um it, yeah, I'll not use the word that I want to use there because we don't swear on this show. Um, but so I was very uh, deliberately nonconformist. And so anything that seemed uh, mainstream or, or quite populist mm-hmm. immediately got my back up and I, I would go against it. Okay. And so that has mellowed as I've grown older. 
Um, and so I think that is is a, is a part of it. Right. I would also probably say it was... Did you have any preconceptions, perhaps? I was just going to say preconceptions about the form or the structure of the stories, things like the musical numbers, okay. which... It's 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 strange because I I've always liked musicals and I've always enjoyed musicals, but for some reason the the idea of the musical numbers in a Bollywood film just just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not, I'm like I say I'm not entirely sure why. It's it's one of those I think where did you think they were perhaps surplus to requirements and they just felt perhaps you felt like they were jarring to the story and they were just there as a cultural uh, template i think that's definitely a part of it yeah um again it's it's also where i had taken this notion i i had this notion that i don't like these films Mm. so i never gave any of the ones that i did see a fair shot okay and and that is something that has changed as i've got an older as i've become more of a film fan i am far more willing to invest more of myself into whatever i watch to try and get something out of it whereas when i was younger i i knew what i liked and that's what i wanted to watch sort of thing okay is this your first proper bollywood film all the way through at least that i can remember there's there's definitely something i've watched back when i was in my teens say which does seem a long time ago now um but yeah it it i i think it would be fair to say it's my first proper watch of a bollywood film um or or not even necessarily bollywood maybe just even indian cinema okay Okay. um yeah because there's a distinction to be made Uh, bollywood is obviously a certain type of film there there are a wide gamut of films that come out of India, but most most of the commercial ones you would say are, are Bollywood yeah. films. So there's obviously a multitude of different languages in India as well. Uh, but the main Hindi language films, which are popular in other countries, Pakistan in particular, where Bollywood films were banned up until I think it was last year. Yeah. Um, and in Malaysia as well, where there are large settlements of uh, people from India, but yeah. you know, ex slaves that uh whose descendants are now you know still ingrained in the uh, indian culture to an extent shole was one of the films that i i kind of shun my 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 own culture so i'm not indian uh my my uh, my parentage is from mauritius and uh they uh transpires that uh my dad actually revealed this the other day uh, that uh that uh, my descendants came from the northwest part of India, I believe. I could be wrong, Dad. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I don't know why you didn't have this conversation with me and spoke to my girlfriend about it. But hey ho, <laughs> um, they like Indian films, Bollywood films, and I, I took against that. I, I was kind of trying to fit in, uh, being a first generation within this country, yeah. in the sense of my parents trying to not live up to stereotypes and, you know, trying to ingrain myself in the culture and something that I've come to accept that, you know, this is part of my heritage and I should be proud of it. Sholay was a bit of a revelation to me. So um, I believe these films used to be, Indian films used to be shown in, on Sunday mornings on Channel 4 between 9 and 12 o'clock when pretty much everyone was asleep. Um, <laughs> I watched my dad taping this on, on television and my brother and I stopped mucking around, driving little matchbox cars around <laughs> and watched the film. We were just drawn into it. Yeah, um, We were only six and eight at the time, respectively. We were just drawn into the film because it's such a simple story and yeah. it's such a story that anyone can grab hold of and and... and get behind it's, a, it's essentially it's a vigilante justice sort of tale going on there yeah there's there's as as mentioned uh in the introduction there are strong western sort of thematic influences yeah, yeah. 
that the, the, like Sergio, and, and stylistic yeah. influences. And so we can talk about things like uh, Sergio Leone, like with the spaghetti and westerns, and, yeah. and, and and interestingly how uh, food is uh, inferred in the spaghetti western, and we're calling this a a masala yeah. or a curry western, as <laughs> sometimes it's it's called as well. Um, it is definitely a, a mix of different styles, uh, but retains that Indian edge to it yeah. all the way through. You know, you're watching an Indian film, but it's it's still got that overarching sort of framework of something that we're very much used to um, through Western films. Yeah, it's it's one where it's clearly taken some inspiration from those other films, but yeah, it is doing its own thing with it. So the story follows two outlaws uh, crooks i think think outlaws is possibly a better i think i think outlaws is that doesn't infer wrongdoing necessarily in the way that uh crooks may okay they they just happen to be on the wrong side of the law but they're not bad people they're not bad guys no they're just trying to make a buck do better things so they're the petty thieves they 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 burgle places they they don't harm people from what we understand um they're they're two likable guys but they just do bad things yeah and they end up in every prison from you know wherever to the next place it's, it's it's said in the dialogue that they've they've been in every prison in in a certain area in the region yeah, yeah. and um, but but it's also one where you know they they do have some morality to them there is a a chance early on where they could escape and avoid prison mm-hmm. um but they don't do that as it would mean leaving someone in danger or, mm. or, you know, in peril, which mm. goes against their, their, their moral code. And so they don't do that. So yeah, they're, they're roguish, I would say, but they're not, they're not bad they're guys. Rogues, they're, I think that's they're an definitely not bad guys. That's an excellent term. So these two guys, Jay and Viru, um, two buddies as well. Really like yeah. this really nice close friendship that um, runs through the, the buddy sort of. One elements. of the, the notes I, I made while we were watching the film is, is it's a phrase from, I, I believe it's uh, one of the Jay and silent Bob um, films okay. by Kevin Smith, uh, where Jay refers to him and silent Bob as hetero life partners, hetero life. Partners. And, and that for some reason, that phrase has just stuck in my brain. And, and I thought of it whilst watching this film because they, they do a song about how they are together till the end and do you know what, Mike? Let's let's play a little bit of that. Oh song. wow! <laughs> um, so this song, uh, in fact, it returns later on in the film in a, in a sort of a, a, a different manner. Yeah, uh, but, it's a great number as well. But it has to be said. But there's this this. Uh, I think it's they're they they're on on the run uh, essentially yeah. at the at the moment, and they've just. Uh, stolen a motorbike and a sidecar of which they're comically sort of riding around singing this song yeah um and moving around the bike and the sidecar and yeah it's 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 a really well handled sequence i Uh, have to say and they encounter different people as they go knocking into fruit carts on the uh, road um encountering a lady carrying water uh, because this is all set in rural india so a lot of people would do rural things um you know the, the whole film is predicated around rural villages uh being beset upon uh in almost like a a wild west yeah a wild western sort of it's an out it's, you know it's, it's sort of a wild west sort of law that's going on there yeah, you know? it, it also ties into the sort of feudal japan idea so it's 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 anywhere that is quite a rural area where the forces of law are slightly stretched thinner and and so you have this lawlessness that allows bandits or outlaws or however you want to sort of term them whether that's the the main characters who 
uh, far more on the sort of good side of that, or the antagonists who are on the on the bad side of the sort of the outlaw divide. Um, so this is the number, and it's called Yay Docity. <laughs> Some of the music, um, I think he's quite sparing. It's about five songs in, in the entire film. Um, and that film, uh, from the subtitles, uh, I'm not a Hindi speaker, uh, but from what I understand, it's all about their friendship and how nothing can break that friendship yeah. and how strong their friendship is. Really kind of heartening to see that sort of thing that these guys are very open about their friendship and they're very proud of their friendship yeah. together um it's, it's a really really enjoyable it's quite a catchy number as well you've got those slight inflections of the 70s sort of like synth noises yeah, going yeah. on in the background but you've also got this like juggernaut slash i don't know train noise like this skiffily sort of sound yeah chugging along in the background um as you can probably hear at the moment um so yeah it's got a, a fantastic um a soundtrack um, on there by two very famous playback singers and um, throughout the film they, they obviously have different songs as well and I think the songs add a hell of a lot as you said Mike to the narrative you know not only did they cause a little bit of a, a break and a diversion to what's going on on screen but I think they, they just add a little bit more in terms of the narrative as well. Yeah, they they do what musical numbers should do in a musical. They, it, it shouldn't just be a, oh, now here's a musical break. They should advance the storyline or they should give us more of an insight into the characters. And I thought they really did in, in every circumstance in this film. So the the story follows these two guys, rogues. We're gonna we're gonna settle on yeah, rogues. I yeah, think so. Two rogues, um, and they are taken on board by a ex cop who had something happen to him. Yeah, and he, who has history with the the the, the two bandits, banditos, the bandits, and the main bandit played uh, by Amjad Khan, uh, who is known as uh, the the, the character is called Gabar Singh, and he's this notorious bandit leader outlaw, and he's ruthless in uh, everything that he carries out, and he perpetrates a, a particularly despicable act. Uh, uh, yeah. And um, this was it's a revenge film for yeah. all intents and purposes, and they're besieging this village where this um, retired police officer now resides, um, and. Not only did they do a despicable act, they also did something very personal to yeah. the police officer as well. So it's actually quite a double hitter, really. 
this film actually is quite clever in the way that it plays back and forth with time as well. There's a lot of flashbacks, as you'd yeah. expect, with Western. So it flashes back to certain scenes. So we have scenes where um, Gabba Singh is actually apprehended at some point uh, in the film. And uh, we see scenes play out outside of the court. Yeah. And uh, we also see these horrific acts that have been committed in, in the past. And we also see a moment in time where all three characters, so the two rogues and the police officer, had a moment in time together. Um, a brilliantly action-packed sequence aboard a train which is being burgled by bandits yeah and the the two rogues as we are calling them um are being transported on the train by the police officer uh to to go to uh, a prison to go and, and sort of pay for their crimes um and a bunch of outlaws a bunch of uh, sort of bandits some train robbers uh try to rob the train and there's this brilliant practical um action set piece that everything is done for real like there's there's brilliant use of um bodies of water as mm. crash mats yeah, yeah you know i i thought that was really quite inspired it's one of those of of, of making do with what you've got kind the, of this thing creates such a spectacle when someone falls into the water the water goes everywhere. goes everywhere but at the same time you know it it's just a safer fall for a stuntman as well mm. and, and things like that so yeah i thought that was really quite cleverly done and i i love examples of of films using what could be limitations to do something good with it sure. to, to you know to do something creative or intelligent with it and and again yeah i i thought this film did that so the, 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 it all converges that they, they are trying to rid this village this very rural village that's still i wouldn't say you know you have the main centers uh where the police officer used to work in a, in a main city by all intents and purposes and the, the, the two rogues are completely out of place in the village it's quite, quite incongruous looking yeah where yeah. they've they've got sort of this quite 70s sort of fashion of yeah. of bell bottoms and sort of suits nylon suits and yeah. things like that where everyone else is in i, I don't want to traditional garb yeah because peasant garb was what was popping mm. into my head and that and that has uh, sort no, of some you, connotations yeah, that you, do, you don't want to use but yeah traditional traditional villager sort of wear rural yeah. Yeah. rural wear um that, that there's it's quite a good contrast between and it's, it's quite a statement throughout the whole film of the so jay and viru um become romantically entangled with uh, a couple of women in the yeah. film and of which one has a great agency, uh, one character called Basanti, and she is a cab driver. She 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 drives a horse and she, she yeah, trans- horse and carriage, horse yeah. and carriage. But she transports people to and from the train station or wherever they need to go in the village. And she's a chatterbox. Yeah, she is very garrulous, although very fond of the phrase, I'm not one for idle chatter, <laughs> yet all she does is chatter. It's, it's brilliant. But she's uh, played absolutely fantastically by Hema Malini, who's a, a very famous actress. In fact, during the, the filming of this, Hema Malini went out with Darmendra, who played... So Basanti went out with Viru, and they hmm. married, and they're still married today. Yeah. And the Jay, who falls in love with uh, a widow, they also fell in love and, oh, wow. and are still married. So it's yeah. actually real-life relationships yeah, that still brilliant. stand to this day almost 40... No, oh, yeah. Over 40. Over 40 years wow, later. yeah, that's, that's really quite impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they actually did 
were romantically entangled yeah. uh, during these oh, wow. these films. So yeah, the the, the the two guys fall in love, and the Basanti character, the the cab, uh, the horse and carriage driver, the chatterbox. She's such a comic element to this film. She adds that bit of levity, but then it gets very serious when her character takes a bit of a turn towards the latter stages of this film, where something happens to her. And we're, tr- we're trying not to spoil this because we, <laughs> yeah. we we would like you to try and find it. it, it I think it's a great Sunday afternoon watch. Um, it's it's very easy going. Basanti's character is taken and all of a sudden the, the comic element to her is sort of slightly flipped on its head yeah. where sh- she's under this great pressure. Duress, yeah. yeah. Um, and we don't know where... That's the, the other thing about this film I quite like. Did you know where it was going, Mike? No, not entirely. There were, one there were, or, some. There were some elements that I did, um, I did sort of call earlier on, but there were quite a few sort of significant things that happened later on in the film that I just did not see coming. Okay. Uh, and and, and the, the scene with Basanti that we are dancing around, yeah. as it were, yeah, um, is, is definitely one of those. It's, like you say, it, it takes what had been the sort of comic relief to a large degree and and makes a very visceral and and quite sort of emotionally draining sort of scene where you you really feel for her mm. and and that is testament both to the the writing and performances of the film well i th- I, th- I think the film lulls you into really liking this character all the way through and like you know she, like we said she's the comic relief and she's she's a lovable girl yeah. she, you know she's we said she's not a dream girl necessarily but no it's but she, she should be something someone that i'd love to hang out with you yeah know? it should be a should be a laugh to um, hang out with it, uh, it's something i mentioned to you sort of immediately after watching the film is is one thing i quite liked about the love stories is that both women are women in their own rights they're not your your uh, you know the phrase didn't exist then but your manic pixie dream girl mm. is is the sort of the typical example of of it it's male fantasy whereas both of these women felt real they both worked for the characters you could see why vero would fall for basanti in the same way that you could see why jay, jay would fall for the widow whose yeah. name is Radha, Radha. there you go um yeah. you know and and they both worked within that sort of framework and, and i thought that was really quite good and the, the, their their agency is also referred to quite a lot in terms of having to ask permission for their hand so trying yeah. to trying to, to to seek permission but and ultimately it's always thrown back to the woman themselves going well i'm okay with it but i are you okay with this guy you know? i don't want to marry auntie yeah. <laughs> there's a very comic scene where uh, viru's character d- uh, is distraught and decides to get very drunk climb up a water tower and and threaten threaten to, to commit throw suicide. himself off yeah, of it. yeah. Commit suicide unless basanti marries him um, but- and and so yeah uh, her aunt is the guardian who is in charge of who she is allowed to marry uh, and she consents to which Viru responds, I don't want to marry auntie. What does Basanti say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which, you know, I thought was a brilliant moment. Yeah, fantastic moment. But And also the flip side. So Jay uh, falls in love with this widow, uh, who is the daughter of the police chief. He Or daughter-in-law. So daughter-in-law, beg your pardon. And the police chief turns around to her, uh, ex-police chief, uh, turns around to Radha and says these things happen nowadays you need to find your own happiness essentially you know it's the the choice is yours yeah. to make whether you want to go and see this guy or uh, to 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 stay a sort of grieving widow grieving widow for the rest of her life yeah so the the, the choice is very much up to the women i think 
the thing, the interesting thing about this film is that I think it has a lot of, like we said, morality and a lot of themes running through it. So good versus bad. What will you do with vigilantes? You know, should you kill someone or keep them alive? Yeah. Um, marriage we've just spoken uh, about as well fate sort of destiny things like that um friendship yeah oh definitely <laughs> um you know um the sort of community sense of community and and how that can change your outlook or change your actions okay and i i that the sense of community is born out in a, in a great scene which celebrates the hindu festival of holi which is the festival of colors where yeah. you throw coloured paints uh, like powder paint. paint yeah paint chips or, or dried paint yeah um, D- powder paint and you just chuck them in the air or mix them with water and it's a celebration of the colours of life and yeah. this whole village gets together to celebrate holy and they're, they're chucking um, all these paints around having a great time and the the interesting sort of flip on that is when that's all disrupted by these yeah. people who don't want these sort of community events to happen and have their own community but it's very much dour and serious and yeah. commanding and how they change a, a joyous occasion to a, a, a sad occasion. Uh, I thought that scene was well, very well choreographed. You know, it's almost like one of the scenes you see at a fun fair where you've got loads of things going on and people yeah. are eating food and you've got a big wheel. Yeah. And- there's sort of the spinning and, and the camera's moving almost as part of the sort of the festivities yeah. which which really sort of draws you into it and yeah i, I came away really wanting to go and celebrate holy <laughs> it just it, the festival it just looked amazing also that has another uh, another implication in the fact that it talks about the importance of religion and um the the filmmakers at this time had a, a duty to deliver that morality their film wouldn't be passed by the Indian Film Board if yeah. it didn't adhere to certain maxims. So it would, you couldn't go around just killing people willy nilly uh, if you were a good guy. There couldn't yeah. be that grey area. You had to be good or bad. Yeah, there's 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 no uh, Bollywood death wish at no. that time. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. In fact, the ending of this film had to be changed because of the Indian Film Board, of which we we won't spoil for you because, like we said, but I think is for the better personally. Uh, you prefer the, I, I preferred the ending, the, the, this... the ending that that we saw okay. rather than the the one that wasn't passed by the film board. Yeah, okay. I I just kind of really enjoyed the element of religion going into it so there you know there's this faithfulness to each other there is also a faithfulness to a higher being who can't protect these people and all these horrible things are happening to them so yeah they're celebrating holy the festival of color but then there's a scene where basanti goes and gives an offering to shiva i think it is and puts her her offering on a plate in front of the god and and wishes for well, she's a chatterbox, so she's actually just having a chat with a statue because <laughs> uh, she just loves to talk. Yeah, and, and looking for some guidance from on high, as as anyone you know can can relate to that. There are all there are times in everyone's life when they sort of feel the need to help me here. What do I do? do or, yeah. or what you know? If you can do this for me, I'll dedicate my life to this or, you know. And it's done in a very light and comic way. Yeah, and and quite endearing way as well. And it's responded to in a very light and endearing way. There is a response from the god himself, which you wouldn't expect. (laughs) But it is played out in a a brilliantly comic manner. It's a a fantastic scene. It made, made both of us chuckle at the time. Now, 
the main bad guy, the the outlaws, the the head of them, the bandits, Gabar Singh. Now, mothers used to say, and my mum said this to me when I was very young as well. Mothers used to say, "Go to sleep." or Gabba Singh will get you. Mm. That's how notorious this character was, you know, the boogeyman, essentially. Well, yeah, they, they even make a reference to that. That is one of the lines of the film. Gabba Singh takes great pride in the fact that he is used as a boogeyman. Yeah, and he instills fear into everyone because he's so ruthless as a character. And I guess the passage of time has probably dulled dull this slightly, but back then, you didn't really have those sort of characters in these sort of mainstream Indian films and even just family, family orientated films. Yeah. You know, someone so callous that they would commit because the, the, there is a central act which Gabar Singh commits, which is horrific. Yeah. There's, there's no getting around it. You know, in a film today, it's still yeah, it was, something that would shock the majority of people. And there are certain liberties taken with it because they couldn't show certain things. But I think there's the freeze frames used and I think they just they, add such yeah. a, a weight to those moments of horrificness. I like the don't show me sort of element because yeah. it plays on your imagination. Yeah. I, I, again, it, it's it's harkening back to the using limitations as a uh, creative jumping point and and doing something great because of the limitations they have and and that was another prime example of that a a very chilling scene and uh even just recalling it now particularly because of the the characters that that things happen to yeah um it's not very nice at all and the reaction as well is very muted and like there's, I think there's a solemnity about, a solemnity about it and yeah it's um it obviously then fires the these embers it blows air over these embers to to, to make them glow and and you know seek that revenge and, yeah it's, uh, it's kind of the impetus or the driving force behind the vendetta mm. Um, that is sort of one of the main sort of central conceits of the film. Yeah, to 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 make the police chief go and get these, you know, break rank essentially, yeah. and and hire two rogues who are criminals, which goes against his code because he's a very down the line sort of yeah. officer. He's a very respected officer, and uh, hire these two guys to go and sort these um, uh, bandits out because the police certainly weren't able to do anything in their in their village. Yeah. Um, Gabba Singh is terrifying, and I, I've got a little bit of uh, audio. Now, obviously, you won't know what's being said. In fact, I don't really know what's being said, <laughs> but I'll, I'll paint a picture for you. It's played by Amjad Khan. Um, he was going to be originally dropped from the film because he, they, uh, the screenwriter deemed his voice not to be strong enough to carry a villainous role. I think the softness, and, and we played a little bit of laughter in uh, Webbist's uh, intro there, uh, I think his goofy laughter is slightly deflecting of the ruthless nature of, of Gabar Singh. You know? it, it adds, rather than taking away menace, I think it adds some menace to the character. If he had a cackle, then I, I perhaps was like, okay, well, it, I've heard that all feel, before. Yeah, it'd feel pantomime or but whereas... You have a bit of a goofy laugh, you're like, okay, this guy's unhinged. Yeah, he feels more like a real person rather than a sort of evil caricature. Yeah, and so this actually takes place uh, after the holy scene and all the bandits come back to Gabar's hideout empty-handed because they were sent on a mission to do something. And he asks them, how many men were there? (laughs) 
कितने आदमी थे सरदार दो आदमी थे हम्म दो आदमी सुअर के बच्चों so uh, that's uh, Gabar not sounding very particularly pleased with what the men have returned with empty-handed, saying how many men were there. There were only two men, and yet there were all these bandits there that you know weren't able to do the job. And he's the noise you could hear is Gabar's taking his belt off and the, a sort of uh, bandolier with uh, shell casings shell case. and and he's dragging it and it's clanking against these rocks, and you can hear that horrid discordant sound in the background you know it's an ominous time for these guys um we don't know what's going to happen to them and uh he uh decides to manically play a game of russian roulette uh <laughs> with them um of of which the outcome will probably be familiar to modern audiences but at the time i'm sure quite terrifying yeah yeah and it, once again lodges in false sense of security um, as well, you know, he is an unhinged man. Do just have to say, uh, clearly, to uh, be a bandit, you had to have uh, an impressive mustache. Yeah, because there were some ridiculous <laughs> mustaches on on the bandits. Like I have to say, uh, they're, they're very impressive. Yeah, uh, they're most... heavily quaffed and and teased, and yeah. Well, this is why they're going to the village to terrorize them for grain and mustache wax, <laughs> um, and. Um, it's interesting, uh, the Gabar Singh's character himself, he's almost in like military fatigues, you yeah. know, where he's in this sort of jumpsuit type um, khaki jacket, um, like you say, where's this bandolier sort of uh, thing going on. Yeah, he, he definitely, there's a slight, um, maybe sort of Vietnam, Vietnam sort of soldier. Soldier, yeah. Um, you definitely know. a soldier vibe to him. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, he's a he's a commanding, he's a big guy. He's a commanding figure. And he's got a full beard as well. He's got a little um, earring as well, hasn't yeah. he? He's got a, like, almost like a piratey earring yeah. going on. Everything about his makeup is just, he's a horrible, he's not a very good looking man. He's, a, he's a, just a horrible man. Uh, you weren't overly keen on this performance. I, I don't even know if I'd say... Uh, it's, he was just the one character that I couldn't quite get a read on, that I couldn't quite make up my mind whether I liked the performance or not. So it wasn't even I'm I'm watching it going, oh, this is bad. It's just a, it's quite off kilter. And so it's it sort of where all the other characters, I think, are a bit more traditional. You know, Viru and Jai uh, are just the sort of, they are your sort of almost Han Solo-esque yeah. sort of rogues, Chewbacca-y, you know. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they have that sort of vibe. Uh, the, the main police chief, Taka, has a, has a very sort of authoritarian. And then he was not at all the villain you would sort of expect, um, Ingabar. Sure. So I think that just sort of threw me off slightly okay. um but but i i do enjoy the performance okay. you know especially by the end um i i thought it, it worked for the film yeah i mean i mean sadly um uh he has now passed amjad khan he he was in a uh film that came out in the 90s so in the same way that um austin powers lampooned james bond films they 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 did a a spoof of Cholet mm-hmm. in 1991 called ramgar k Cholet, 
and he appears in it uh, looking significantly larger, I must say. Um, <laughs> and uh, like I some, mean, I, someone I, that ate too many pies. Yeah, as as someone who has who has gotten a bit larger around the middle recently, <laughs> that tends to happen when you get older. So I'll, I'll not laugh too harshly, but. <laughs> I just want to know, is there anything else negative or anything that you wanted to kind of pull up? I know there were a couple of plot devices in there that with the passage of time, once again, we kind of telegraphed. Um, Um, There were one or two moments about, I guess you'd call it sexual politics. Okay. So there's, uh, I can't quite remember the specifics, but it's, uh, they come across uh, a, a woman and it's um, it's it's quite funnily done, but one goes to stand up and the other one pulls him down, and then the other one stands up and his friend pulls him down, and and it, it yeah, there was just a slight didn't quite sit entirely right with me. Of there was almost a sort of presupposition that she was theirs, if mm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think that is just uh, it's of of its time. Of its era, yeah. Um, I can't really think of anything else that the, bothered me okay. or, or that um, there was maybe a slight element of it was slightly conformist. Okay. The idea that, that Viru and Jai should be settling down and, and having a family and, and things like that. But once again, I think this is all to do with uh, the, the film board and the sensibilities of the time was, you know, these are the things that are expected of people. You know, I mean, I they, think it's know, still expected of people and it's it's possibly just my own personal bias against that. Like I said, it's, it's of his era. But I just think from my perspective, I guess the reason that they, they're expected to settle down and stuff is because they've been, rogues for most of their lives yeah been, true uh, there, there was a large sequence uh, within jail which they've, they've spent a lot of jail time yeah um doing bad and you know they had they had this aspiration you know, i'll get a bit of farmland I'll, I'll do this i'll do that i'll help with yeah it, it's also the it's often the traditional longing of your western Mm-hmm. sort of anti-heroes or or heroes is is that desire to leave the violent life they're living behind yeah and and work land to 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 be self-sufficient and and to sort of have that more traditional life so so on that level i i definitely did it was it was just a minor minor quibble okay and and in terms of length obviously indian films are very long they're known to be you know three hour epics if not longer yeah this one's slightly truncated because we watched the slightly edited version um did you find the time waned for you at all no I, it really crackled along like there's there's a very palpable energy throughout the film um that they use the sort of the musical numbers they use the action scenes to break it up and and to keep the pace moving so that it 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 sort of drags you along you know it, it's like like yourself and your brother when you were younger almost against my will i was drawn into this and just fully taken for the ride and and thoroughly enjoyed that ride yeah uh, the reason that films uh, in in the indian subcontinent are quite long is traditionally you know villagers or even city dwellers you know this was their source of entertainment they have televisions yeah. you know they go to watch films they're very big moviegoers the, the indians so to get out of the hot sun where they may be laboring or whatever toiling away they would go and watch a film yeah yeah and of course they'd want to spend 
as long as, long as possible, possible out, of, yeah. out of the sun or whatever it may be and they'd want to get the best value for money i think that's an asian trait full stop but they want... uh, it's one we scots share don't, <laughs> don't you worry mate <laughs> you know that's why these films were as, as long as possible but and they, they would often have a, an intermission in them as well on yeah. top of that so hence why these these films would go on for for three hours long but you know as, as you said the, the, the narrative had enough sensible breaks with enough musical numbers within them that were slightly rousing to kind of get you going and there's, yeah. a, there's a particular scene that's a bit throwaway uh, where there's some uh, gypsies they, they call them uh, camped uh, who are supplying arms to Gabar's yeah. army um, and it features uh, a, a fav- very famous dancer she's only known by one name and it seems to be uh, the trend nowadays, highs and dire. Yeah, she was she was just ahead of the curve in terms of mononyms. Um, and uh, her name was Helen. She's of mixed race, and she was very famous for being an, an excellent dancer. So she would be in a lot of seventies films. She would she wouldn't act, but she would be there for some musical numbers. And she's dancing around this gypsy. And I've got a very quick clip now. This song is played at weddings because it's a bit rousing as as it gets going. It's. Uh, they actually got sued for ripping off the song because uh, <laughs> it has a very, very striking resemblance to a Demi Roussos uh, song called Say You Love Me. Look that one up on uh, on YouTube and then and, and look this one up as well. It's called Mehbooba, Mehbooba, and it featured in the top 500 songs of all time uh, as by the uh, Guardian newspaper. sequence the two rogues are plotting some devices uh, as around so the narrative continues actually during the song and then is abruptly uh, brought to a close uh, at the end of the song as the song accelerates so as you can imagine the reason this song play- is played at a wedding is because it gallops along and then gallops to a crescendo at the end and people dance to it in, in such a manner it's got a very sort of 70s sort of vibe to it going on there but then you've also got like traditional instruments yeah. here as you can hear and the like sound you can imagine gypsies or indian gypsies sort of making this sort of sound so yeah i think it's quite authentic in that in, in that in that manner I, it's one it's one of my favorites from the soundtrack i really really enjoy it and as we said all the songs in this uh film are pretty catchy uh, yeah i mean go. every time we've we've played one of these music clips uh what you've missed out on due to this being a podcast is the 
probably awful sight of me and Neil just grooving <laughs> along to the music. <laughs> it's, it's just quite hard to sit still to. Yeah, it's, it is quite, it's got that uh, tempo to it, hasn't it? It's that got, makes you want to shake your shoulders a little yeah, bit. Yeah, to, uh, to, to groove. To... Kind of going to wrap up our uh, and give our gradings in a moment. Cholet was re-released only a few years ago in a 3D format. So they went back, uh, regraded some of the film, then applied the 3D sort of effects to it. So there are particular scenes where a handcuff is shot. Yeah, uh, you can okay, see how that works. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can I can picture a few scenes where I could see that working. And and they they had to do quite some extensive work. Unfortunately, it didn't make back its money. And this is the interesting thing about Charlie because it was uh, critically derided at the time of its release. And over the passage of time, it's become a favourite. Yeah. And it played in a, I can't remember which film uh, cinema it was, but it played in there for like twenty odd years wow, uh, uninterrupted. Yeah, yeah. And people were still flocking to see it. What it uh, Charlie also uh, stands for is a, a watershed time where screenwriters weren't paid particularly well and then after this film screenwriters were then recognized for the yeah. job that they do and uh it's referred to in indian culture as bollywood uh, sorry Cholet bc and Cholet ad that's mm. there's two time oh, yeah, periods yeah. it is definitely you know that is what it's it's called i've heard that criterion actually have asked to get the original print. 70 mil print because it was filmed on 70 mil there's some obviously was some rights issues when they asked for that because they only just released the 3d version would love to see a regrading of this in a in a beautiful pristine blu-ray format yeah, someone yeah. to go back and do a nice print of it i think there's a lot they can do with the original print if they can get a nice print to do this um the fact that it was filmed in 70 mil you know one of um, mr nolan's favorite formats mm-hmm, yeah. and he's a you know a, a fervent supporter of that format as well also makes the the film even more impressive as, as we we're talking about the sort of the practical effects to be doing that with a 70 mil camera which it's just a bigger camera because the film itself mm. is larger just makes it even more technically impressive it, it is and some of the shots that they got close up on on the train down the side yeah, yeah. you know as the train is moving that train sequence at the beginning of the film took took 20 days to film uh, which is actually probably a short amount of time compared to a hollywood film actually and i've worked on a bollywood film and i've seen the way that uh the, the camera is set up and the directors uh, move their actors and, and do set pieces yeah and i'd say that the crew are on it there's no mucking around it's very much a ridley scott sort of vibe yeah, yeah. to it that in out do their job and they use material and and facilities that of yesteryear so they're using wooden blocks to make a, a mount for the camera to yeah, sit yeah. on whereas you know you would use more modern materials and dollies or yeah. adjustable seats and, and things it's like that just so fascinating yeah. to watch them work with these old techniques which clearly still work for yeah, them and yeah. they have this versatility to them but yeah when i was working on this bollywood film in the middle of the uk just to see them go about their business was absolutely fascinating and the very hardworking crews as well. That's a bit of an insight to that. Yeah. Like I said, would love to see a lovely scan of this and I would be the first person queuing up if Criterion got hold of a print and then managed to upscale it and clean it up because I think there's so much beauty in this film. The, there are certain scenes where light falls and you have dusk rising. Uh, there's, there's scenes where Jay is uh, playing a harmonica mm-hmm. on the porch of his dwellings uh, next to the police officer's house 
and they that took three years to capture by the way just so they had to get the right lights oh wow three there's years. some beautiful shots though like even on vhs yeah i think i said to you that sort of they were amazingly crafted shots yeah there's a lot of thought that has gone into the composition yeah, yeah. of that shot and where certain things are um, um and, and how the light may light up something or, or doesn't it was just yeah it was supremely well done okay so that is Cholet. Uh, also known as Embers uh, in the UK language, but Sholly is primarily how it's known. 1975 film, available in the UK on DVD, uh, not on Blu-ray, unfortunately. Employ you to go and try and seek it out. I'm sure it's on YouTube, but there's probably no subtitles for it so <laughs> yeah. pay for a version it may confound your expectations um i think that's what the general consensus is here uh, so mike i am going to throw it to you for our grading for chalet okay um i would probably give it a four out of five i think okay. as i said i i sort of came into it it was a little bit oh, i have to go and watch this i have to watch this for the podcast that i'm going to be doing and then it really surprised me and took me along for the ride. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I will be a lot keener now to try other Indian cinema <laughs> strictly because of this film. Okay, that's 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 really cool. Uh, and we may revisit some Indian films um, further down the line uh, when we do the Film Seekers podcast. For myself, I do have a little bit of an emotional attachment. I said to Mike, it's almost like my Star Wars of my, my growing up because we sat down and had you know watch this film unexpectedly when we were younger it's a four and a half film for me passage of time has probably taken a little bit off that as well uh where i've seen similar tropes used i can see maybe a bit of the simplicity behind it is not as much as i would require nowadays but as a child you know as a young person watching that i would i was completely enraptured it's a great action adventure sort of film i I can entirely understand that it's it's a lovely rom and I also want to say before we finish off our segment, thank you very much to Web for our introduction yes thank you that was that was brilliant thank you so much and it gave us such such a background to this to this film and thank you very much for recording that to us but hopefully in the, in the coming months and, and weeks we will have other guests who will record introductions mm. for our film so we don't have to explain yeah. everything and, and also um follow web on uh twitter oh yeah of course follow web the darn that dream i believe darn that dream is his podcast type that in to oh. google or go into the podcast and web web is trying is his handle on twitter at web is trying uh, follow him as well um you can subscribe to his podcast on your local podcast directory and definitely well worth it if you you've got a flavor now for delving yeah. into indian cinema and he can explain it in those terms that you understand as you heard in our wonderful introduction that he did for us and we're very 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 grateful for that so thank you very much and I hope that gives you some resolve to go and seek out some Bollywood films for yourself or maybe just some Indian cinema, um, as Michael has done under um, a slight duress. <laughs> yes, but I now consider myself a, a willing convert. Okay, that's excellent news. And if Michael can do it, so can you. <laughs> and now it's come on to the end of the show, but we're going to give our streaming recommendations as per usual on all the major formats. So on Amazon Prime, my recommendation is The Other Side of Hope. It came out in 2017, and this is the latest. This is from from Aki Kurismaki, uh, who is a Finnish director, and uh, his previous film Le Havre followed a African boy in a relatively unknown place, trying to escape his sort of world of where he came from. And this follows a similar vein. So this uh, involves a, a Syrian refugee who comes across a Finnish travelling salesman. So that's also on Amazon Prime. Michael, uh, right? So my pick for Amazon Prime would be the Red Turtle 
which was directed by Michael Dudok DeWitt, who is a UK-based Dutch animator. It is a French-Belgian-Japanese co-production involving uh, some of the team from Studio Ghibli and is the story of a shipwrecked man who um, is trying to leave the island he is shipwrecked onto and is thwarted in his attempts by a red turtle. It is um, dialogue-free and just absolutely beautiful and, and well worth your time. Yeah, it's come up on many people's lists as well for the best of 2017. Red Turtle, what a beautiful film, full of allegory and uh, reminiscent of, of those uh, fables that you would be told by your, your folks as yeah. trying to go to sleep of a night. On to our Netflix recommendations now. On Netflix, there, there's quite a mixed bag going on there at the moment. Mike, did you have a particular uh, recommendation that you wanted to to give everyone? Uh, well, yeah, one that's definitely caught my eye is um, Creep 2. Okay, Creep So two. Um, the original, Creep, was a brilliant little two-hander horror film uh, starring Mark Duplass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one continues the story, seems to be another two-hander. Mm-hmm. Um, quite sort of dialed down. It's, it's, it's quite sort of independent sort of film. Um but but definitely worth your time. The the first one was one of my sort of films of the time, um, and so I have high hopes for this. I haven't actually caught up with it yet myself, but based off of the first film alone, it is worth your time. I can tell you're in for a treat, Mike. <laughs> it's uh, starring Desiree Akavan, who we mentioned has a debut film yes. out at a Sundance Film Festival. So definitely a face to look out for. She is just a brilliant screen presence, and alongside Mr. Duplass, they make a terrible twosome uh, <laughs> i can't wait yeah it's a brilliant film for my recommendation there's so many good films that have recently jumped onto netflix that have sort of been knocking around but I, i've mentioned this on uh, twitter as well this week is the film super dark times uh which is a sort of a tribeca favorite that came out last year the, the festival circuit sort of a donnie darko inflected film that has a, a tragic incident happens and then it's up to these boys who are involved to decipher what that means to them and how they go about dealing with this incident. Sort of a, an allegory for a loss of innocence. And okay. I would say that the Donnie Darko sort of depth about it is, is the way it's been filmed and dark overtones, as the title would suggest. Um, it's definitely sort of a, a film that's out there, pushes a little bit of boundaries. And I think it's, it's a great character that is beautifully shot as well. So it's quite, it's quite a feat. So um, that is super dark time on Netflix. That's our two recommendations on there. And then finally, on to the BBC iPlayer. If you live in the UK uh, or Northern Ireland, you have a wealth of uh, free (laughs) stuff to be able to watch on BBC iPlayer, of which uh, rotates uh, every week or every 25 days, depending on the rights that they get. But at the moment, um, they have a film called Made in Dagenham on there, which is just an incomparably brilliant film. And once again, it stars a bevy of the best of British, including Andrea Riseborough, one of our favourites. We keep <laughs> mentioning her. Once again, unrecognisable. Miranda Richardson, who I have a bit of a soft spot for, love her in The Crying Game. And then, you know, subsequent films since she did, she was in Churchill last year she's currently working on some tv stuff as well but she, um, and of course sally hawkins who yeah. we'll see coming up in 
The Shape of Water from Guillermo del Toro. Um, this film um, follows uh, a group of women who work in a factory in 1968 and they are demanding equal pay. So quite a, a resonant theme for yes, these times that we live in. Yeah, the, these times that we live in. It's directed by, I think it was Nigel Cole. I don't know what he's done since. Written by William Ibrook, who's, who's written loads of stuff. Uh, also stars the late Bob Hoskins as well. I need to mention him. He is the gaffer who can't quite believe that everyone is standing up for them. But then he goes and realises that they should be standing up for equal pay and, yeah. and goes ahead and supports them as well. And, and a kicking soundtrack, including Desmond Decker and uh, many, many other fantastic uh, Northern Soul vibes. Uh, Made in Dagenham is on the BBC iPlayer. Uh, we also mentioned at the top of the show, and it'll probably be in the notes as well, a podcast that we think you should go and listen to, or I think you should go and listen to. It's a series of four podcasts from Caitlin over at theheartradio.org uh, called No. It follows the idea of consent from her perspective, and then she's seeking answers, and then from the perspective of the so-called perpetrator yeah. involved in the incident, and also from the aspect of a father as well. It's quite an open and challenging uh, set of podcasts but it's definitely something that I learned something about from someone's perspective that I hadn't considered and it kind of muddies the water of what you think is right and what is wrong and, and who is to say what is right and what yeah. is wrong and it's just challenging those notions and it adds to the conversation a lot more. That's it folks thank you very much Mike for today. Thank you very much for having me, it's always a pleasure uh, it's been wonderful having you. Uh, where can people find you online Mike? Uh, if you go on Twitter I am at the late great MR and uh, Mike Ross on Facebook at the late great MR on Instagram although I'm really not that active on any of them at the moment so I'm not sure I'm that great a follow but if you do I'm, I'm trying to be better so uh, and Mike loves a conversation on there as well so if you want to uh, ask him a challenge him on any of his opinions from the show today yep, by all means do. and likewise you can join the conversation with myself over at the Film Seekers account so that's at Film Seekers on Twitter you can also drop us an email uh, hello at filmseekers.com as Mr Vin did at the top of the show uh, wonderful to receive that email and we don't just want positive ones we want ones that however we can improve so you know send us all your criticisms and everything else and we'll, yeah. we'll try and be better as as mike is trying to be himself <laughs> also we've got an instagram account as well um that will be film seekers and our facebook group which um, uh, um that's facebook.com forward slash film seekers for our next episode we will be talking about powell and pressburgers the red shoes which is uh, great for me as i have never seen a powell and pressburger film obviously heard a lot about them um so yeah i'm, I'm quite keen to it's one i might even try to do the filmography this year okay so, so I, it's a great starting point it is a fantastic starting point it's been a long time since i've seen the red shoes possibly when i was at university at the turn of the century wow <laughs> you sound old i am old it's just going to be a great revisit for me uh, there's plenty of others that we can talk about so that'll be in our next uh, episode where we talk about feature films however the actual next episode we will be doing will concern our thoughts and feelings on 2017's films our favorite films try not to do a top 10 per se yeah but it may boil out to be a top 10 <laughs> for mike has some, some very different tastes takes on 2017 than i do and we'll try and talk about those and that will be a sort of a truncated episode so it will be specifically just talking about our favorite films from last year so should uh, 
uh, please some people who who complain about our episode lengths. This will be a shorter one, guaranteed. Yeah, you can probably go to the <laughs> toilet and then come out, and it will all be over. So, um, we're going to end on our final line, as per always. This one's from Memento. And it's spoken by uh, Guy Pearce, obviously Memento, directed by Christopher Nolan about a chap who is suffering from short-term memory loss. Yes, uh, so he tattoos and, and leaves notes for himself. And it is um, a story that is, the narrative is told in reverse. And there's some very fun Easter eggs on the DVD where you can actually watch the story in chronological hmm. order. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's very well hidden, though. One of the first films that I saw by Christopher Nolan. Yeah, same. Um, um, once again at university on a uh, VHS tape very late at night just saw Guy Pearce he's a recognisable face to a lot of us in the UK of a certain age because he used to be a prominent character on a soap opera called Neighbours hmm. and um, I was like oh Guy Pearce in a, a Hollywood film was no I, I didn't have any clue as to who Christopher Nolan was yeah. back then either um, I just saw Carrie Ann Moss who was also um, starring alongside Guy Pearce's character off the back of The Matrix sort of at the yeah. time there and thought this looks interesting and I watched it and it's just one of those films where you, you walk into it and you go I had no expectations of that film and wow that's just blown me away really. yeah oh 100% yeah um so um yeah uh, if you haven't seen memento what are you doing you know, <laughs> um you need to watch it soon and it's it's an easy watch really it's a breezy watch yeah it's really. quite a short film yeah um it's not particularly challenging i would say in terms of uh even though it's told in reverse you still get an idea of where it's going and yeah. it's quite open-ended as well which yeah is quite yeah nice. our final line today comes from that film and it's spoken by leonard uh who guy pierce plays and he says now where was i Thank you very much for listening today and join us next time. Bye-bye. This episode has ended, but your film journey doesn't have to. Head over to filmseekers.com where you'll find more reviews, ideas and news. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Why not connect with us and let us be part of your film-seeking adventure? 